Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast. This is episode 145 and I'm regular host Aaron Percival aka Corporal Hicks and joining me as always are my partners in crime Adam Zeller aka Ridgetop, AJ Bischoff aka Voodoo Magic, David aka Omega and Eric Adams aka Xenomorphine. And this is going to be an absolute nightmare for me. Look at look at how many hosts we have here. There's five of us. I can't remember the last time we did yeah, one this big. Yeah, it's been a while. Well, considering the production we're going to be talking about, it's kind of suitable in a way. <laughs> so because, because of Alien 3 being a nightmare, I have to have a nightmare doing the edit of the podcast. Is, is that what you're telling me, Eric? Yeah, it was a bit of a production kerfuffle, I think it's fair to say. A lot of cooks in the kitchen. Hmm. I, don't, I don't like that mirror. I've, I've got to be honest, guys. But yes, so we are talking Alien 3. A absolute disaster, a misunderstood masterpiece. We'll find out how we all feel about it on this episode. All being well, I'm I'm aiming to drop this on the film's 30th anniversary. 35th anniversary. 30th. 30th? 1992. Oh. 30th. Damn. I can't count either. Ha! And I, I think next year will be the anniversary of the assembly cut. That was 2003, 2003 yeah, Christmas yeah. time, yeah. Wait a minute, so we're not covering, we're only covering the theatrical cut? No, we're, we're talking this episode <laughs> as well, don't worry about it. Okay, okay. Because we had to, we had to talk about how much Alien 3 we're going to talk on this Alien 3 retrospective. Eric likes to call these debates, and I'm like, we're not arguing, it's a retrospective discussion. Yeah. I say we're not arguing, we'll find out as we um, as we rock on and, and, and see what opinions clash. You know, guys, to uh, toast Alien 3, I got myself a little leftover bishop here. A little synthetic. (laughs) (laughs) This is dripping all over the film, and uh, happy anniversary, Alien 3. I'll toast Alien 3. I started the whole Japanese beer tradition that Aaron sometimes has got. To be fair, you know, lots of Japanese text and and kanji and stuff in the background of Alien 3. They boosted that a bit. Kind of felt a little Blade Runner-y, honestly. Although, you know what? Just to go off topic already, I just finished watching season two of Raised by Wolves. So when when AJ raised the the milk, I'm thinking, ooh, lifeblood. Yeah, I still need to to finish season one. I got about halfway through it and I was into it. I just got distracted. But does it keep up? Season two is good. Oh, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying it. But we could talk about that on next week's stream. Don't worry about it. Anyway, as we like to do with these things, I thought we'd start off with just the first time we saw the film. You know, it is it is how we handle these and it is how we'll crack on with today. So we'll go alphabetical again and, and I'll go last after. So a roundabout alphabetical. Okay. So when I was finally old enough to watch R-rated movies, I guess, I had had some experience with Alien, with the video games, with the toys, with the comics. Like I had seen some stuff, but I was getting to the age in my early to mid-teens where my parents would allow me to watch the movies. And I was like, I'm going to watch them all. And for some reason, I watched the second one first. And then I went back and watched the first one. I remember like a local VHS rental store at my grocery store that was like maybe a mile or so away from me. So I would just ride my bike there and rent movies. And I, I rented, I think, Alien and Aliens first and then Three and Resurrection. And I remember watching three and just being 
I, I feel like a lot of people were just really disappointed with it at first because coming off the, the high of Aliens and that was such a fun, intense film, even though it did maintain the horror elements, I thought like we had three survivors at the end and we had really grown to love these characters and we were very much interested to see what would happen to them next. And so I was reading a Reddit post recently that was saying, Somebody was watching the theatrical cut of the film and they were saying, I could never really get over the deaths of, of Hicks and Newt. I could never stop grieving about those. And the new characters were not compelling enough to get me past that. And I very much agree with that. I think the assembly cut remedied that a bit more, uh, a lot more, actually. But I have to say, I was quite disappointed with the film at first. But through the years, as I got older, I gained more of an appreciation for the movie. And I really like it now. I still feel that it has problems. I still feel that none have come to the quality of the first two movies, but there's things Alien 3 does so well in terms of the production design, in terms of the creature effects, in terms of just the vibe and the movie having its own feel and identity. The score is incredible. There's so many things Alien 3 does right, and it is a very, very worthy Alien film. I just don't know if I'll ever feel it was what we wanted after Aliens. Regardless of that, it's a very dark, very nihilistic film. And you have to kind of admire it for that because I don't think they'd make a movie like that now. I was listening to the commentary recently and I remember Lance Henriksen chimed in. He was like, I don't know who I was supposed to care for in this movie. It was all just a bunch of of murders on a prison. And, and it's the same thing. Like the one character I care about, Clemens, right after his kind of heartfelt diving into his past, he's killed off. And so even a character we're starting to connect with like that, it's like, no, fuck you. Like he's dead too. And so the movie's just so nihilistic in that sense. It was a disaster, but it was a beautiful disaster. And I feel like the movie was sabotaged by too many cooks in the kitchen, was sabotaged by the studio. I feel like if you would have let Fincher pursue his vision, it's a good warning for studios to be careful how you treat a new and, and upcoming director because you don't know what his future is going to be. So I do feel like they should have trusted Fincher a bit more with this film because the theatrical cut, I still, I, I watched them both again recently. I almost never watch the theatrical cut now. And I don't feel there's really anything the theatrical cut does that's superior to the assembly. But overall, I really like the film. It'll never be with the first two for me. None of them will, but I really like the film and I really admire the film and what they were doing and some of the new ground they broke with the franchise. Those are pretty much my thoughts on it. Are we giving it a score? Alien 3 would be a hard one to score. Did we score the others? I think I remember scoring Aliens on the anniversary for that. So, If you want to, AJ, feel free to. If anybody wants to, feel free to. I would say for the theatrical, probably a 6, and for the assembly, probably an 8. Over to you then, AJ. So, with Alien 3, um, I don't have clear memories of exactly when and where I saw it, like with Aliens. I mean, it was in 1992. It was a rental. The movie came out in summer, right? Or in May May of 1992. End of May. The end of May. And I think the video cassette came out the end of that year. And I was able to watch it. And man, I, I remember looking forward to seeing it. Seeing Sigourney uh, Weaver's shaved head was cool. It might have been a uh, bald cap in the adverts. I'm not sure. But seeing those like black and white newspaper ads, you know, coming to a theater soon. And I was excited, you know, because after Alien and Aliens, my favorite Alien film, you know, who wouldn't be excited in 1992 to see the next film in probably the highest praised 
sci-fi horror film franchise at that time. But I think my memory is muddled for me, not so much because how younger I was, not because it's been three decades, but because of the film's impact on me. Uh, I went into Alien 3 as an Alien fan, and I came out as one of those alienated fans. Here's this young mind expecting a follow-up to this perfect 1979 Alien film and the equally perfect 1986 Aliens. And here, right, was this choppily paced third film that basically said, fuck you, I'm pulling an Aaron, fuck you to the lore. It said, fuck you to the second film, the characters, their arcs, the growth. And that wasn't fun to see. I don't know. And Alien 3 seemed to also kind of say screw off with the logic, with the xenomorph logic, you know? Where did that extra face hugger come from? Where did that extra egg come from? Who cares? Who cares? The dog was face hugged after Ripley was face hugged and burst in rap rapid time. But Ripley could go on and on and on with a chest buster inside her only making her ill at contrived times where she can hardly move just to reveal to the audience she was impregnated, only to bounce back up again and become a stud action heroine again. These contrivances, right? Like no weapons cache in a uh, maximum security prison full of psychopaths, murderers, and rapists because... You know, in Sigourney Weaver's contract, there was, you know, no guns. You know, it even hurt my sensibilities back then. And hardly anything of that movie felt organic, but it all felt like staged sequences without considerate thought. And how do I care for a bunch of rapist murderer villains with no character development? Most of them, right? To little to no character development that all look the same with their shaved heads so much that they remind you of those red, uh, those red shirted, nameless uh, security guards on Star Trek, you know, disposal. But as time went by and the assembly cut was revealed, you know, adding scenes and allowing the film to breathe and learning about all the behind the scenes nightmares and production beginning even without a finished script, my heart softened a little towards Alien 3 and I started appreciating some aspects. Sure, the script was still often contrived and in some as aspects still a mess, but like Adam said, or near to what Adam said, it's a um, beautiful mess. There was great cinematography, a very often enchanting score. Sigourney Weaver's performance was very enjoyable, as always. Charles S. Dutton was simply wonderful as Dylan. And uh, I thought The Runner was very cool, even though the effects were rough. I mean, really rough at times. And its behavior wasn't always logical, but it was still cool. And I enjoyed the more religious aspects, even, in the assembly cut. And you know what? To be honest, I think Alien Resurrection even helped me enjoy Alien 3 more, too. You know, it was like, Resurrection was like, you know, you think Alien 3 is bad? Hold my beer. Is Alien 3 a masterpiece? No, it steps below that. It steps below the first two films in every way. But I've grown to like it for what it is. And, you know, I understand to some hardcore fans out there, it's their favorite. 
and they're probably seething at me, but I got nothing but love towards them. I just don't have love towards this film, but I've grown to like it. So the theatrical cut, I'd give it a five. Alien 3 assembly cut, I'd give it a seven. And I'd still like to say hashtag new lives. <laughs> you always liked that hashtag, didn't you? You and Eric, actually. Yeah. I do. All right, David, bring me the tea, David. Take it away. What? Bring me the tea. Alien Covenant. Oh. <laughs> okay, so my learning curve with the movie, I'm going to say it's very similar to what Adam said because, you know, I watched it first when I just fresh off Aliens. And I was thoroughly <laughs> disappointed with the way the story went, starting from, you know, the cactus from the previous movie dying. So I wasn't very fond of it. And I wasn't very fond of Alien Resurrection either. But, you know, growing up and changing my tastes a little bit, you know, getting into more mature kind of movies, dealing with subtle, dark, uncomfortable themes. I realized that Alien Tree is, mood-wise, very interesting to look at because it's essentially a metaphor of some sort of post-stress traumatic disorder represented by the alien with Ripley surviving, you know, what could be like a car crash. You know, it's essentially a car crash at the start of the movie where your family is killed and you have to deal with the fact that you are the only one who survived. You know, and it's a very interesting look at the movie that way. With that said, I am not very fond of certain aspects of the movie, still. My running joke... With, uh, whenever I see Charles Dance in a movie that I call him Clemens, you know, look, there's Clemens whenever I see him because I very much like that character and he gets killed like way too soon for some reason. And he's replaced by nobodies basically because, you know, most of the characters are kind of average criminal Joes, you know, <laughs> things like that. So for example, I feel that he should have been the one, you know, releasing replay at the end. Not like Morse, is that his name? Yeah, Morse. I'm a very big fan of the, the of the creature, of course. ADI alien, especially the road puppet version, has very, very interesting ideas implemented into it. The proportions, the blade at the end of the tail gets more into that butcher blade AVP direction, which I honestly kind of like. So yeah, there's a lot of things I could like about the movie. I could say I'm very good about the movie. And at the same time, there's things holding it back, but you know, it's kind of like an old friend to me. As in, you accept their defects because you know their history. And it's not like they're invalidating issues. Just to be friends, you know, things like that. So I don't like number ratings. But if somebody were pointing their space gun at me and saying, give me a fucking number rating, <laughs> I'd say the triatical card around an A and the assembly card around the same rating. Because I feel like the assembly card kind of fixes some problems but introduces new ones. So, yeah, there's that. Mr. Xenomorphin. Old boy, you probably saw it in the cinema, didn't you? <laughs> no. Resurrection was the first one I saw at the cinema with friends. Alien 3, if memory, yeah, 92. I would have been in high school. Back then, yeah, let me see. It was me and two or three other friends. A lot of the time, we were re-watching Aliens. That was often what we went round to each other's houses today and we just watched Aliens. We were like, what should we do? Watch Aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's a genuinely good film. And we didn't fast forward to where the big action scenes are. We watched the whole thing. And a lot of people forget it's like an 
hour or so before the action kicks in. You've got tension. You've got momentum. You've got inertia. You've got almost right from the start, as soon as Ripley finds out about families, Jesus, you know the direction it's heading. She's off to face her demons down. It's not just because it's a crowd pleaser, but it's got that sense of direction. And the series, up until then, it felt as though, like in car terms, there's a new car. It's come out of the garage. It's like in Back to the Future, where the DeLorean comes out of the trailer. And in Aliens, that car sets off on a racetrack, on a motorway, and they let the engine rip. It's what they call a roller coaster. And you get to Alien 3, and the problem is that in almost every respect, it feels like it's treading water. The characters don't know what they're doing, where they're going to go, how they're going to get out of it. Let's make a plan. The plan falls apart. Oh, well, I want to die anyway. There's no hope. A lot of people think that's a good thing. Me and my friends, though, we just thought this just feels so underwhelming. Because with aliens, what you used to at that time were they wanted to survive. They wanted to go on. They wanted to fight to get out of it. They had a cause, a sense of purpose. Even Burke, bastard that he was, he had a sense of purpose. In Alien 3, and I'm sure at the time it was done just to be different. I believe that in the meeting Sigourney Weaver had, the first one she had with David Fincher, she said, where do you feel Ripley is heading? Because she said she wanted to know if this guy got Ripley because she said, well, he's going to be stuck with Ripley whether he likes it or not. And he said, how do you feel about Ripley being bald? And Sigourney Weaver, being an actor, you know, performance, art-led, she said, oh yeah, that sounds interesting. But it's like, They have these ideas. Oh, that sounds interesting, but where's it going to go in the narrative? She's bald because she's bald. All the characters are bald, which psychologically, and I remember this at the time, we we were like going, who's got killed? Who was that? Wait, what? But I thought that guy was talking. Wait, huh? Who's died? Nobody cares. Nobody really gets called by name often very much. And unless someone's got an American accent, which is interesting because most of them are British actors, you're like, well, what do I remember that character doing? I don't know. And I remember there were reviews at the time where people were saying people in the audience were actually starting to root for the alien. You don't have this sense of you want the character to live. It was like, it was like AJ said, they're all red shirts. Nobody cared about the characters. Nobody was bothered beyond, well, maybe this kill will be an interesting kill. But even the kills were very, bam, the alien rushes off. It wasn't interesting. I remember we talked about, because we were all basically very underwhelmed when we saw it. We It got to Ripley's suicide, the credits ran, and me and my friend looked at one another and we were like, oh, well, that's that then, I guess. You didn't have that, wow. I've seen an alien film. Like, at that point, an alien film stood for something. It had that breakthrough of, of course, Predator started to, but Predator 2 hadn't come out by that point. The alien films were, they made the breakthrough of, it was no longer a guy in a rubber monster suit. The alien films made the alien look and feel like a living creature. The alien had a presence. 
and the Alien 3, you had that big problem of, well, if you're not going there to see Ripley's journey, then you're going there to see a monster killing people and that. And the effects were famously so bad that these days people go, oh, the CGI in Alien 3 was awful. And there's only like a fraction of a second of actual CGI in it. It was Jurassic Park came out the following year. That was the first time they'd done proper organic CGI. In this one, it was all to do with bad, well, not practical effects. The rod puppet actually looks really good. The rotoscoping and all that. It was not conducted in a manner where you thought, that's a real creature. It looked fake. Like with Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future 2, the, the shark hologram comes out and it's Jaws... 15 or whatever and he goes oh the shark still looks fake that's what you got with alien 3 the alien looks fake and that was such a disappointment for fans of the alien creatures because yeah it's ripley's story but like she's there incidentally it's called alien aliens alien 3 and if the creature, you know, your willing sense suspension of disbelief crumples, you got a problem. And okay, if you're going to go that direction, at least maybe there's going to be some really disturbing stuff, some psychosexual stuff like with Lambert or the scene where Ripley and you are trapped with his face hugger. You can have all sorts of stuff happen. And all the alien does is just rush around. It becomes a slasher. It's that problem with, like, Pinhead and Freddy Krueger. Eventually, they just run around killing people. They're on drugs, almost. They don't care about making the confrontations disturbing. The most you got with that was famously... I remember the big thing about Alien 3 was you had all these billboards of the famous image with Ripley almost shitting herself and the alien is right up against the side of her face. And that's as bad as it got. And when you've watched the film, you think to yourself, I actually saw the most disturbing scene already and it was already, it was just in the marketing. I think David Fincher, I think he's got it right when I'm going to quote from him. I think audiences find it pretentious and ponderous and resent the fact that it is not a scary scare movie. It's a queasy scare movie. And I think his analysis is right on there it's trudging you don't really care for people and i remember me and my friend we tried to have a discussion afterwards because we thought you know we're gonna have something to talk about it's a new alien film and we're just oh yeah about that, that's that scene was yeah it was interesting there's some nice lines in there and we just moved on talking about other things and we were both big fans of alien for, and you should not have that effect on fans of what was then becoming a franchise. But I do remember the aftermath is probably what I remember more because I remember thinking, because this was a rental video at the time, and I remember thinking, yeah, I kind of like when Sigourney Weaver, she went down to the basement and she was like, I'm part of the family. And, and scenes like that, and I, they kept playing on my mind and I wanted to see it again. But then the problem became, I saw it again. I just feel the same way about the film. Like at the end, those high points, and they're usually dramatic high points where Ripley's saying a line with poignancy. A lot of the acting, you can't fault it for. But at the end, it never rises above that. You're still left with this feeling like you've been treading water. 
And I remember thinking the other thing that we, me and my friends agreed on by the time we'd all seen it was the interesting characters like Andrews and Clemens. It was like Hicks and Newt dying off was a foreshadow to the characters with interesting backstories or who had some presence. They're all getting killed off at the start. And except for Dylan, who is a good character, although he's never really given much backstory except for him saying, I'm a murderer and rapist of women, which is an interesting way of putting it. He's never really given any background. None of them are really given any background, which is a big part of there's nothing to hook into with them. Why are they there? And at the end of the day, they themselves tell Ripley, so they themselves tell the audience, we're rapists, we're murderers, we're literally, we're child molesters. You shouldn't care about us. And me as the audience, I'm going, yeah, I don't care about you. Come on, alien, kill them off. But yeah, there were those little moments where the film does, you feel, there are those little dramatic moments of dialogue and they go yeah that was a good dramatic scene but then you sit through the entire film and you go is that worth it i'd rather go back and watch alien i'd rather go back and watch aliens and that is not an effect the film should have on even a casual audience so yeah that's my feeling it's the whole thing felt like you're sort of walking through honey almost, but they never capitalised on you've got something as disturbing and potentially as terror-inducing as the alien. And they made a big deal on all the posters of three times the terror and it's hiding in the most terrifying places. But even the thing about Ripley's got a chestburster and it's a queen, you already know that. It literally starts out with a face hugger on someone's face in an x-ray. You know that. They blew their load. They could have kept that and that impact where Ripley has the CAT scan and she falls apart. And that is good acting. But it's kind of blown because we as the audience, I remember sitting there and I'm going, yeah, and, and it's just, okay, it's a queen, but at that point, it's an alien anyway. You don't. Okay. But I will say, as of last night, I can also say, well, I've had another first with the film. I saw the assembly cut for the first time on Blu-ray. Now, previous to this, I'd seen the assembly cut on DVD. I had problems with that because things like the ox scene, the audio wasn't quite there. I noticed on this time with the Blu-ray, a lot of the audio problems and that had been very much polished. Up until last night, I thought the assembly cut is different. It's not necessarily better because at the end, you don't see Ripley chest burst, but because of how they edit the music, you're waiting for that climax of the, something to happen and it doesn't happen. It feels anticlimactic. And yet the original has it burst out of her, but she's not in agony. She's just weirdly cradling it. But as of last night, I am, I'm now starting to feel except for that part right at the end the assembly cut is better you have one of the examples a scene which felt like why did they do that well let's not go too much into the differences yet. okay but i will say that one in the assembly cut that whole scene is given reason so the assembly cut gives things purpose in a better way than the original but yeah a lot of people say you change your views i still feel it's got high points in 
spite of what it is. But it it just feels like something where I wish they hadn't made it. And I know that a big part of that was they had money on the line and they had to make something within a certain time, but you watch it and it's it feels like it is a cinematic cautionary tale. And I, I didn't really care about Hicks and Newt dying emotionally, but what did they replace them with? And when you're trying to replace something, it needs to be as good, if not better, and they just replace them with red shirts. And so that, for me, is where the Hicks and Newt thing falls down. That's something we can talk about in more detail later. Is yeah. the but that's my memories of it. All of that I felt at the time and with friends we talked about, we felt that's how it felt to us. It was very much not, we hate Alien 3, but oh, well, why couldn't they have done X, Y, and Z? And yeah, it just felt very underwhelming. Right then. So Alien 3 was the second Alien film I saw. Aliens took me until... I attempted to watch it twice until I finally saw it all the way through. When I was around 10, you know, Dad's there. We've got the Region 1 version of the Alien Legacy box set, and we're watching it on this multi-region player. It's all fancy at the time. Ooh, I can watch American DVDs. We finished watching Aliens, and I said, can we watch the next one? And Dad says to me, are you sure it's pretty crap? And I was like, yes, let's watch it. And we watched it through, and I've never not liked Alien 3. I've never not liked it. Even the theatrical version, which was the one we watched. So, you know, I was 10. This was a good few years before the quadrilogy came out. At that time, I I don't think I was on any of the male groups either. So I don't think I had any exposure to people's opinions of it other than that one brief comment from my dad. Are you sure? It's crap. And I liked it. I've always liked it. As I've got older, I've learned more about it and appreciated how good it is in spite of what it could have been. I'm not a fan of a lot of the old scripts. I appreciate the train wreck that it was for everybody making it. But it's also got to the point now where I like it in spite of a lot of the problems. I think we've discovered over the course of the years that we've all known each other that I'm a fucking depressing person. AJ, AJ was, we, we had some podcast where I was like, everybody's a bastard. And AJ's like, what? You don't like people? No, I don't like people. The world's unfair, not just the sci-fi world, but the real world, it's unfair. I've always been a depressing child, and I'm a depressing adult. That was the Into Charybdis podcast. Yeah, that's right. So one of the things I really love is that downer tone of Alien 3. Eric Eric's has a lot more, and AJ, have a lot more confidence in people in the world than I do. But no, the tone of Alien 3 is something I really like about it, and it resonates. The world is unfair. Alien is unfair. The world of Alien is unfair, and I like that. But it also means I also have to be in the right mood to watch Alien 3. I always, not really wanting to do a number score, but I like Alien 3 as much as I like Alien and Aliens. I do. Again, in spite of problems. I have a lot of problems with it myself. There's a lot of things I would redo. And to the point where I've often been tempted to actually sit down and start doing that my alternate take on Alien 3, writing a script on it. But I don't, I'm not a finisher, so I, I don't get there. But I enjoy it in spite of problems. But it also has a lot of my favourite things of the series in. Elliot Goldenthal's score is easily my favourite of the scores from the entire series. It is. That is something that I used to like to listen to when I was doing creative things. You know, when I was in college, when I was writing stuff for my film courses and when I was writing fan productions and stuff like that, it was always Goldenthal's score that I listened to. And to this day, you know, it's when I want to listen to an Alien score, 
it's normally Alien Trilogy, to be honest. It's normally the game's soundtrack I put on. But uh, other than that, you know, it is Goldenthal. It is What's-His-Face from Covenant. You know, those are my favorite two soundtracks of, of the series. It also has my favorite cinematography of the series. You know, Alex Thompson and David Fincher's style is easily my favorite. You know, the, the low-angle looking-up thing is one I... What influenced me when I was in college doing films and stuff. That was the style that I tended to follow. But it is a train wreck. It is. You know, if I hadn't learned as much about the film after the fact, would I like it as much? I was I was going to make a racist joke about everybody not being able to tell the difference between bold Brits, but even Eric ruined that as the Brit. <laughs> not able to tell the difference. And, you know, that, that's applicable. I'd, I wouldn't know off the names if it wasn't for things like the trading yeah. cards or, or, you know, online and, and the websites and stuff like that. So Alien 3 to me is is a weird film because it is fundamentally flawed on every on every level on every level from inception to to release because of the things that happen with the film you know the studio fight and the studio politics and the people involved in making the films you know you won't hear about it when you're listening to this probably because i don't think i'm that fast but you know we we've recorded an interview with rex pickett who was one of the writers on finch's version of the film and that's something he talks about in our interview with him is just this absolute petty schoolyard mentality that went on around that production and the things it did to the production how that film is as good as it is is beyond me it really is but again, in spite of that, I enjoy it. I enjoy it as much as the first two somehow. I don't I don't understand why I do like it so much, especially when I have so many problems with it. You know, I forget who it was. Somebody was talking about the alien, you know, being this stalker, not stalker, like, like Freddy Krueger and, and that kind of slasher. Yes, that's it. It became a slasher. Yeah, be, becoming a slasher. You know what my big problem is? Why the fuck is the alien not taking people back to the hive? Why have we got yes. this slasher aspect going off? There is so much... Like Resurrection, for me, there is so much buried in there that could have been more interesting, but I still like it. I so wanted that meat locker cocoon yeah. scene in there. It badly lacked that, did that take moment clients. where you found right. out what was happening. Yeah, but it also killed him with a, a head bite through the head. Yeah. You know, the, the alien to me, he should have been kidnapping people, taking them back to a hive, preparing for the queen to come out, that kind of thing. And yes, you can probably fansplain it away with, oh, it came from a dog, it came from an ox, it's supposed to be more, you know, bestial. Maybe that makes it less intelligent than an alien-born creature, but that's fansplanation, which again, this film has a lot of, a lot of fan justification and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm an absolute hypocrite who doesn't understand how he enjoys this film as much as he does, even though he has so many problems with it. I would like to very much agree with you about the music. It is probably my favourite soundtrack out of the entire series. And I would also like to say, although I was very negative in my view, the very beginning and very end credit sequences are some of the best I've seen in any film. I love Alien 3 for those credit sequences they are works of art literally but even just that musical sting coming down from you know yeah. the fox fanfare that is fucking brilliant i love that that is beautiful because of that fanfare i associate yes. the fox the fox music with alien yes. every time because in my head whenever i hear that fox fair i hear it going to alien 3 and that was the first time that it ever happened and it wouldn't happen again until avpr 
I love the music, but did you guys find it like oddly edited in situations or some strange choices? Like, I'll give you guys two examples. There was like the strange bassoon that would screech in and out high and low when Clement was Clements was telling Ripley about why he was, you know, with these prisoners. And then um, that weird choice of rock and roll type music when Ripley's about to get yeah. raped. I liked that that rock and roll bit. That's one of the I, best was, tracks in the. In it the is. It's a great. It's a really good. But it was odd place for the track. I see what you mean. Uh, my point is, yeah, it's a good soundtrack. Yeah, the style. But it's the choice for that particular scene, you know, which was it was like rave techno music. Yeah, and yeah. it was a strange scene to begin with because the, you know he puts on the goggles and he's rape goggles and he yeah. screams like he's in a uh, Mad Max movie, yes. you know. He's very Mad Max, yeah. Versus a tense, scary gang rape, you know? It was treated yeah. like a music video, which I know David Fincher is is famous for. You know, so I, I love that track. I just don't love it there. Yeah, I believe Goldenthal has said when he wrote that track specifically, I think he was inspired by the LA riots that were going on. So he would have seen a lot of violent imagery and it, while he was composing that, so it would have been inspired by chaotic scenes of violence so when you listen to it yeah it works for that kind of scene the issue is because it's so different to the rest of the music in it it doesn't feel like it's almost the same composer but i will say if you listen to the alien 3 soundtrack as a whole and you listen to the soundtrack of interview with the vampire also done by goldenthal it sounds like one single movie it's strange a lot of the music from interview with vampire you could fit it in alien 3 especially with what aaron said about the cinematography which james cameron has praised alien 3's cinematography i did notice last night well, on let, let's let's stick on the music let's stick on the music for a bit because okay i was gonna say how gothic it looks but yeah uh, goldenthal's score was was just really excellent and yeah, I, I watched the special features recently and Goldenthal, when he was interviewed, said, oh, I might have seen the movie once in a theater sometime, maybe. Yeah, it was like five minutes or something, weren't so, it? So yeah, you get a sense that these creatives that worked on the movie were just, they were very frustrated themselves with, with the studio politics and how the studio was treating the film. But that's something that Goldenthal did just knock it out of the park with. I do agree with you, though, AJ, that I feel like some of the placement of some tracks was odd and and there also was a sense that he was trying to have some of the the music be more of a character and kind of be in place of some of the sound effects which made things harder for the sound design team admittedly oh, that's something they talked about behind the scenes as well right one of the sequences that the documentary shows off for that is is ripley running down the corridor in, into into the mess hall and you have this heavy percussive stuff going on where it's kind of like her her footsteps her foot crashing on the floor I really like that. That is that is an aspect to his music that I quite like is that it almost bleeds into the actual sound effects of what could be happening. But exaggerated because it's a musical instrument, you know, it's not a footstep, it's a it's a percussive instrument. That that worked for me a lot. Yeah. And in I think there have been a few orchestral performances for the Alien series, and you can't deny that those themes from Alien 3 are some of the most powerful themes, especially just right at the end where Ripley has sacrificed herself and it goes back to the EEV and it comes back to the first movie, The Last Survivor signing off, like it goes to that like really soft tone there, like that. The music is just so 
so good. And I'm going to bring up AVPR again because it, it showed like I love Brian Tyler's amalgamation incorporating some of those themes of Alien 3 and Resurrection. So you know that those themes have staying power. So yeah, the music was the least of this, one of the least of this movie's problems. It wasn't a problem. It wasn't, it wasn't. a problem. No, that was no. one of the one of the areas where it was consistently beautiful, I would say, in yeah. three is the music. AJ, I will say when I was watching Assembly Cut last night, I did notice on some of the slightly added footage, like some of the Clemens stuff, I did notice yeah, what are they doing this bit of music for? Because it was, it sounded like awkwardly horrific. And I'm sure they had Golden Fall compose music for other pieces. And then they were kind of probably going, well, what should we put here? Oh, I don't know, this piece. So that's probably more of an editing issue. I don't know the history. It of felt it, like yeah. two muffled instruments, guys. I am not an expert with instruments, but when you put something in front of a trumpet to make this like, yeah, noise, yeah, and yeah. he had two instruments talking to each other as Ripley and Clements were speaking to each other. I'm, I was actually being taken out of the scene when I hear that. I'm like, yes, what is this choice? I don't understand. It kind of yeah. reminds me actually of some of the unique music in Aliens Fireteam Elite as well. Yeah, more experimental <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. More experimental, yeah. So, But yeah, he, he was very much experimenting with the, the tones and the instruments that he was using. I, I could have sworn it used to be in the documentary, but it wasn't in the Blu-ray when I was watching it the other day. But, you know, unless I'm confusing it with Frizzle in, in Resurrection, but using like a bar of metal as like a violin of some variety. Yeah, Silvestri, who did the music for the Predator films, I remember having a, a Back to the Future annual at one year, and I remember seeing in there, there was a whole article which was just about the music, and he said he'd got this new computerized system, I think he called it a Synclavia, and he said, what's amazing about this is I can, I can have this sound and this sound and this sound, and I mix them together, and it sounds just like this instrument, and I remember thinking to myself, why don't you just use the instrument? So I think back then, early 90s, a lot of film composers were being very experimental because they, they wanted to try something new. And I think with Alien 3, regardless of how they came about, the individual parts, it's the, I don't know what it is, but it's that fusion, whatever Golden Thor was aiming for. It's the end result. It just has a really nice fusion. Like Aaron, when I'm doing writing for anything, you know, it touches on the themes that the Alien films do. Nine times up ten, I will go for the Alien 3 soundtrack. It is just so inspiring. How do you guys feel about having a choir in Alien films? Because this was the first time. Was it? Didn't Aliens have some? No. No, there was, I think it was all percussive. But no, I mean it's very it's very choiry. Uh, you know, the whole start of um, the film is what, what they're singing. Isn't it like Lamb of God in Latin or something like that? Yeah. yeah. But I mean that feeds into the religious yeah. themes of the film. Agnus Dei. Yeah. There you go. I never had a problem yes. with that because again, I find it suits the tone of the film. You know, I'm not going to say it's depressing, but you know, uh, thematically, you hear choir, mm -hmm. you probably think church, you probably think religious stuff, and it suits Alien 3 down to a T for me. And that was something else when I said earlier, oh, I wish they'd done this, that, and the other. That lends itself beautifully to when you hear characters like Golic talk about, oh, the dragon. As soon as I saw that scene, I thought, oh, yeah, 
there's some interesting religious metaphors you could work into the alien, but it was one of those things they didn't take and run with when they could. But yeah, it really suited things like that, where you had these choir vo voices and it was all... I mean, again, in the funeral scene, where whether it's a dog or an ox and you have Dylan deliver the um you know his eulogy i suppose it was called and you have you know within every seed there is a flower and the music it's got this beauty but it fuses into this like the loss of hope with a very dark haunting overtone right at the end and it, i think that's got choir voices in it as well but it uses them as a strength it reinforces the religious even no not religious the blasphemous tones of the alien itself within the film eric i do agree with you in regards to the dragon i really wish they played that up as you know some of these yeah. prisoners thought this was the devil and uh, or satan's work coming to get them and they had to have faith in god to defeat the they, yeah they could have played it up a lot stronger and obviously they they broke away from that with the theatrical cut because you get a lot more religious aspect in the uh, assembly cut. But, yeah, yeah. but I think they could have even went further, and I think that would have helped the film. Maybe if they had more time. It would have reinforced the mythology. Yeah. It. And that's what it was more in Vincent Ward's script. Uh, they did kind of view it more as the devil in that one. Yeah, but that's – I hate Ward's script. So that that is uh, – <laughs> I'd say Ward's script. Who wrote it? Fasno wrote it with him. I always disliked how heavy that did go into the religious sort of stuff to the point where, you know, they're, they're exercising the alien. I'm like, nah. Yeah, they're like pushing it out of her body or something. Yeah. So the, 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 there is a balance to be struck with the religious elements of the alien, but it yeah. can work. You know, that's one of the things I like about Mark Verhaden's comic. You know, I like the cult around the alien. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of building a religion around the alien, but it's balance, isn't it, you know? As, as it stands, I'm happy we got what we did rather than what we could have got with wards um, in terms of Well, that. I mean, it's like when we've discussed Predator before and we've said the mythological aspects You like the hairy dragon, don't you? Yeah, but it works so well with both the Predator and the alien. When you have in Predator where Anna talks about the demons who makes Prove is a man, and in Predator 2 you had the voodoo stuff, which works really well because you had basically a voodoo priest facing off against the Predator and seeing the reflection in the water and then the trophies. When you have the setup for Alien 3, and I think initially in earlier drafts and stuff, there was more to do with the prisoners blaming Ripley. So what about you know, she herself has brought disharmony in and she's broken the circle and she is evil personified and she's brought that in, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of religious texts. Some of them could have literally read out. Like, these are actual Bible-reading people. <laughs> they could have actually just thrown this text at her like medieval monks, which is what in the Vincent Ward script they were. But they don't ever go down that path. It's one of those... Roads not taken, which I think could have worked really well, but as you say, that's different. Didn't Clemens make a mockery of that religion the way he explained it? Yeah, more in the assembly cut, I think that is. I don't think that's in the theatrical, but he does say, "Oh, yeah, it's a millennium." He he generalizes it because he doesn't really understand. It. Yeah. He says it's a millennialist, yeah. millennialist Christian 
blah blah blah. He he doesn't even know how to convey what it is. And Rex Pickett's draft actually went into that a bit more. It went more yes. into Dylan discovering all these books and kind of taking what he liked of all religions and putting them together into one. And yeah. I do find that that would have been an interesting factor to to explore a bit more for sure. We touch on the cult aspects of it, yeah, because that's meant to be what the prisoners all basically men- their mental sanity kind of semi depends on that because it's it's we've all they we've all heard stories about people going insane during lockdown they've been there for what 20 years or something they've been there and they need something like that because i think morse says to it's a really nice quote Morse says, we got no entertainment, we got no this, we got no that, we got no fucking iced cream. And it really rams home that, yeah, if they didn't have a religion or a some form of cult, that's probably the only thing preventing them from going off the deep end. Because Aaron, 85, he says, um, yeah, I'm going home on the next rotations. You know, him and Andrews, they're not stuck there. Clemens, the rest, they've got this bond which has been forged for years. And a lot of it is rooted in this cult, but we never examine it. And it's interesting because it's a kind of a, a benevolent cult. Whenever something creeps into it, like you get a bit more in the assembly cut with Golic and how they distrust it. Dylan is the one who steps in, reinforces it more like, more like a school teacher than um like a priest but he uses that bond to basically says pipe your bullshit down get on with the job and it's nice to see it's not an example of a cult which is abusing and exploiting people it's just keeping them together but it's it's never explored and it's just such a shame because you do have that dragon aspect there and ripley is an outsider and it, again it's the it's the road not taken but there's so much potential I do think that there's still a strong religious, even folkloristic element in Alien Tree's story, but like structurally and visually. Like, for example, the stranger bringing a monster with it, some kind of like Beowulf a little bit with a dragon, Beowulf's dragon. And also we, we often see, you know, the alien alongside fire, you know, there's a whole sequence with the, with the alien chasing people across fire and stuff. So there's very That's strong That's a good imagery. observation. Yeah, because oftentimes when you want to make a monster, like a creature like Carter, into a dragon, metaphorically or visually, you don't need it to breathe fire. You just need it to suggest fire. So they put a lot of fire, you know, in that sequence to, you know, other movies that have dragon-like creatures, like Outlander, do the same trick. They don't have actual fire coming out of the creature. They associate the creature with fire in different ways. And Outlander is another movie that was based on the Beowulf story. And I feel like Alien Tree has strong Beowulf elements because ultimately it's, you know, it's Ripley killing the alien and she sacrifices herself. She dies like Beowulf does. At the same time, there's like a religious layer to it because she can be seen as, you know, the pure Lamb of God, Agnus Dei, from, you know, the first track in the soundtrack, banishing the devil that they have taken inside themselves because they are a scapegoat, a Lamb of God, a sacrifice to banish evil. And they banish it through fire because they, you know, she plunges into the comically large like in, in, <laughs> yes. and I feel like that's entirely intentional because it's hell. It's literal hell fire. 
there's so much religious imagery throughout the film as well. The cross in in one of the establishing shots, you know, you've got a lot of like the reliefs on the walls and stuff like that that appear, you know, like stained glass stuff that you'd find in church and stuff like that. Trying to make Ripley into Christ. So I I think I've read some stuff about that was deliberate. Well, I suppose it's in the assembly court, isn't it? Yeah, where she goes down in, in, in in the Christ pose and everything. Yeah, I feel like the the sequence you mentioned with the fire, David, where they're trying to trap the alien in, in that storage tank, that's where the assembly cunt is fundamentally better for me. Because as long as I can remember watching the movie, it always felt like that sequence ended very jarringly, like something was missing there. Because everything goes to hell when he drops the igniter. There's fire everywhere, and then suddenly it just fades away, and they're all walking like they had failed. And it's like, wait, what happened to the alien? Like, so it just felt like there was a big chunk missing. And of course, now we knew there was. And seeing that full sequence, even little things like the character that had previously attempted to rape Ripley, she's now trying to save another one with this guy. And there's a moment where they look at each other, and ultimately this guy ends up sacrificing himself to lure lure the alien into the the chamber so they can lock it in there. So that sequence is just so much more fleshed out and it's it really shows when the theatrical cut just has that jump from we're in the middle of this intense sequence until, oh, we failed. Now what do we do? Even though that that naturally came much later. I don't think that stitching together ever felt like it worked in the theatrical before I even knew about that. And seeing more of the aliens, seeing it in the fire there, we don't see that at all in the theatrical cut. That is some of the best imagery as well of the alien, you know, is is this surrounded by fire look. And that's another reason I like that scene as well is, is I think it's Junior is redeeming and is sacrificing, you know, it's again, this religious sort of themes, you know, of redemption, of making up for your sins and all that, but also the sacrifice that goes throughout the end of the film as well. I like that scene. I like that sequence. Can I just say about the igniter, just go down another rung, you know, that I find that so cringing <laughs> as he's stretching down. And it's supposed to be tense. <laughs> just go down another one. Yeah, just down climb there. down the ladder a little bit. It's yeah. so realistic yeah. that somebody would would do that. Yeah, kind of. I want to know what that. All these years, I've never understood what that guy means. Buh. He just looks up and he goes, "Buh." Like, what? <laughs> it's, it's it's just an exclamation. Buh. <laughs> I, I very much think that little bit is like a little bit of dark comedy because the guy has no idea what he just did. And then next cut is bam, all hell breaks loose, break harder kind of thing. That's not the only instance of humor in the movie because even in the rape scene, the one AJ talked about a little bit while ago, like the guy does this with the goggles, that's clearly dark comedy. Or the guys, you know, running into each other at the end in the maze. Yeah. And, and, and you know, they bump into each other and one says, you know, you don't run with scissors, you, you idiot. And then the guy gets killed by an alien. Yeah. That was, I think, the beginning of the dark comedy in Alien. I think that's m- not so much comedy, but that's more to help humanize the characters. Because that's the kind of thing that would happen with people running around. Like, they hit each other and go, oh. Yeah, yeah but they're clearly idiots. Like, you clearly, yeah. you clearly see the them as idiots and they're idiots, idiots funny. If I can mention about that dark comedy, because there there was a little inappropriate dark comedy in regards to just dishonoring aliens. I mean, 
immediately when Ripley finds out, she goes, you know, she finds out Newt and Hicks are dead. She says to Clemens, where are the others? And Clemens says they didn't make it. They didn't survive. She stands up. She has a little smirk on her. And she says, you want me, uh, you want to get me some clothes or should I just go out like this, butt naked? Yeah, it's a little weird. And there was a little twinkle in her eye and a little smirk on her face. And it was a little sarcastic moment in a moment that should be overwhelmingly painful. It should be, please get me some clothes. Please. I need to get to the ship. You know, something like that. If you care about aliens, if you care about the characters in aliens, and you care about the people who love these characters, you shouldn't be writing this way. You shouldn't be so cavalier towards their deaths. And they just do this stuff in the film, and it frustrates me. I I, I tend to think of that more as a coping mechanism than yeah. anything, you know, because th- uh-huh. the, the early the early parts of the film, you know, she's fucking devastated. You know, the the funeral scene is easily one of my favorite scenes from the entire yeah. series. Well, that's afterwards, and yeah. at that moment, she's still highly disoriented and drugged up too. Mm. So. Uh, they already had a little bit of a conversation lying down. I don't think the moment lands. Like a lot of Alien 3, whatever they were trying for, it's disjointed. It's the, the tone is off. And otherwise, there wouldn't be so many complaints about this film, yeah. right? So I think the script suffers. Yeah. yeah. One of the things with Alien 3 is whether you like it or loathe it or feeling different, it's always felt like Alien and Aliens... It's almost like one single film. The tone is very much, it feels like one single thing, and you get to Alien 3, and it's like you've gone into a brick wall. It feels like a very different kind of world. It feels with... I can't say I agree with The characters, everything. It feels like there's a disjoint from what's gone before. I I feel like Alien and Aliens have a fundamentally different vibe. Yeah, and as does Alien Three. Each and that was what was so interesting about the first four Alien films is each one had their own unique tone, identity, feel to it. So yeah, I I did not see. I mean, Aliens was a great sequel, and I love Aliens, but it did not have the same feel of the first film for me. For me, it was conflicting vibes within itself. Not from movie Alien to Aliens to Alien Three, but it felt inside Alien Three that they weren't sure what they were going for all the time. Yeah. They probably were. Yeah. There That's was fair. one more piece of dark comedy I wanted to mention, which is only in the assembly cut, where they're in the hallways and they're about to have the alien chase them, and they all just start laughing at their predicament that they're in. And it's just kind of a, a weird kind of scene where they all just start laughing before the alien starts offing them and, and chasing them. Yeah, I mean, that goes to dark humor and how people are like in crisis situations. And you're all, you're all missing the funniest and the best piece of dialogue in the film as well. What? Fuck. Oh, right. Yeah. That's so great when no one believes her and it just grabs the warden right in front of everyone. Right when it needed to. Yeah. That act, that scene, yeah, that's well done. Although I remember that hitting me as very disappointing because of how thick the suit was. But one of the major problems with Alien 3, you said about like no one believes her. I remember a lot of reviews at the time were mentioning the big problem with the setup of this is that people say, oh, Alien 3 was doing its own thing. It was being different. But the problem was it wasn't because it, it's going back over. It's putting Ripley back to square one. She's in a strange environment. She's woken up. Nobody believes her. And it's just going, you're repeating 
what Aliens has already done, except Aliens did it better. And the weird thing is, she actually has a way to prove herself, because she could just reactivate Bishop again, and she doesn't. So you're just going back over the steps she's already gone through back on Gateway. Yeah, that's fair. That was one of those things. That's fair, but, you know, to be fair, myself, I mean, that's exactly what Aliens does with Alien, the same story bits arranged differently or with different lengths. And Alien 3 just does that like with different story points from the previous movies. So I feel like that's fair. That's the method they've been using. So I don't mind that at all. So Adam, you were mentioning the um, the Alien Runner, I think, uh, chasing everyone down in the hallways. You know, there were two things that I came came away with that. First, you know, I think this was the first time we saw Alien Vision, I believe. Yes. Uh-huh. before at the time i didn't even realize aliens had eyes they don't well <laughs> or could see yeah no <laughs> they don't well they could have like a lens at the front nobody knows yeah. yeah fincher wanted it on there but i always thought it was more like something like sonar or smells or senses or something you know yeah somebody involved in the earlier movies i think it was ridley scott mentioned that the entire dome could be like one giant compound eye or something like that and i need to remember yeah i do remember what aj just said about the fish eye lens i do remember back then when i first watched it i thought oh this is so disappointing because at that time yeah. everybody used a fish eye lens for a monster and i thought it's the alien make it like curly and photography make it something unique not to, and then fisheye lens go and it just felt so cheap the fisheye was a bit simplistic but i will say what the cinematographer did in terms of running down the hallway and up the wall and on the ceiling was really cool but yeah we wouldn't see the alien perspective yeah. again i think until covenant where ridley just had it have a bunch of like floaters same thing but hexagonal yeah but I didn't mind the seeing the alien's perspective. Like, I think that's kind of an interesting element where it's like, it's an alien. It has some sort of ultrasensory way of having an image of what's in front of it in its mind. And it doesn't need to have eyes. But I, I thought it was a nice element in Alien 3, if maybe a bit overused. My only problem with it is, and another contrivance, that they slowed the alien down. Because you saw how fast the runner would go. Yeah, the runner would catch up it with doesn't all match these with guys. the lens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that really came across when I was rewatching it. I thought that they should have sped that, but then the human would have looked like the human was going like Benny Hill speed. But yeah, they should have had the camera on some sort of rail system where it would just shoot down there. That, yeah. That's why I think I saw these uh, contrived moments in the script where they like these moments. Like, you know, uh, why do we have lice, right? Because David Fincher imagined Ripley would really look cool bald, you know, so much so that we get this like horrific music kind of swell when the camera pans up and here comes the mirror and there's Ripley, you know, with the shaved head. It's such a cool reveal, though. Come on. No, it, it is a cool look, but it's it's not organic. And then it's, it ca- it's purely it's purely for visual. And it causes the problem with everyone else being bald. And you know, you you could have basically from the yep. wreckage have her cut her head. She needed stitches. They needed to shave part of her head, and she just shaved the whole thing. And next thing you know, you know, you have a, you have a better way to uh, distinguish the other characters without everyone with a shape. But you know, th- these were the thoughts behind just just like the honor system, right? You have no weapons cached at all. You know, it's contrived because. 
you know, these mental patients cannot go on an honor system. You had Andrew saying minutes before, explaining to everyone that they were all thieves, they were all murderers, they were all rapists, they were all child molesters, all scum. And a couple of minutes later, he's like, you know, hey, we're on the honor system <laughs> with these psychopaths. And it's not logical at all. They at least would have a weapons cache put to the side. Yeah. And they could have easily explained it away because if Ripley's ship, escape pod or whatever crashed, they could say it crashed into the weapons cache. Yeah, the armory. Right. It's a British prison. We don't have weapons in British prisons. But you have weapons in Britain. Right. Controlled gear of some sort. If they need them, you have them. What happens if things get out of hand? This is a maximum security prison. Even the tornadoes don't use weaponry like that. It's, it's riot gear, it's, it's buttons, it's shields. But I guarantee you there's weapons if they need them. Stashed somewhere in a cache somewhere, somewhere in the UK. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a difference between an entire fucking country and a prison where half the security is the fact that they're out on, on a planet in the middle of nowhere. Well, that's security for everyone else, but not for the people who work there, not for people, not for Andrews who has thinks they're all scum and not trustworthy. You know, as a plot contrivance, like that's the reason why they don't have. I think it works well, hasn't aged well because these days you watch it and you go, they could just 3D print them or something. But at the time, it works for explaining why. And you could have used, like, okay, people facing off against the Navy and without weapons. That's interesting. But what do they do with it? I mean, it doesn't, they're running around with scissors. They don't even hit one, you have acid come out nothing happens with it so they don't use it. yeah it would have been nice to have actually seen somebody try and go up against yeah. the alien with with a, a blade or a knife or something yeah i think the no weapons plot point works because it's ridiculous i think it's ridiculous on purpose <laughs> because you know that's ripley's reaction this is a high security prison and you have yeah. no weapons of any kind like you can feel the passive aggressive kind of thing it, yeah <laughs> going on with her dialogue here. And it works because of that, because she's frustrated. She has to face a worse nightmare, and she doesn't even have, like, the comforts of the previous yeah. movie. And she has the sarcasm later, like, we have the ability to make fire, right? Like, do yeah. you guys have anything around here? I get that perspective, but Andrew's answer doesn't sell it to the audience. You, you see these steps taking, like, nothing works, right? You want Ripley without, you, with a shaved head. You want this awesome autopsy scene with Newt. You want to rip her apart. Now, of course, they have, they have technology now that you could just scan people inside. There's no need to actually do an autopsy if you're looking for something. You have scanners. You have, what is that stuff the pregnant people use? Ultrasound. Well, they have that in the movie, too. She should have just taken Newt to the EV. Yeah, I know. But we wanted this awesome, you know, chilling... <sighs> That is one of the few scenes in any film that I just have to turn away from. I can't stomach it. But they had to trim it down too, didn't they? It was surprisingly yeah. tasteful though. Like there's quick cuts. You only hear the sound. It was. It's very tastefully made. Like it's, yeah. like they had to do it because she wanted to ensure that that mute didn't have anything inside her. And they couldn't move the corpse from the morgue because if she had something, yeah, it could have burst out at any time. So they needed to make sure they're in that place. So they had to do the autopsy. It's a logical conclusion. 
It looks like they wanted sequences, right? They wanted these things to appear in the movie, and the movie didn't yeah. spur organically. You know, we we want her with the shaved head. We want to have this autopsy scene. We want to have no weapons because it's in Ripley's contract. And we, we're going to put this all together. And I'm not even sure if the idea of monks and prisoners work, you know, combining those two... Uh, I guess, original script ideas, right? You're merging the two and it doesn't tend to bl blend logically, not least in this movie, the way it was conveyed to us. What do you mean? Well, it, it was the producers going, we need to make this more commercial and they changed it to prisoners. It was... No, I mean, the idea of monks and prisoners because people people find religion in prisoners. No, very, no, absolutely. But your, your goal here is to not have weapons of any kind, right? You want to go up against the alien with no weapons, okay? And the way you come up with that scenario is you say you have psychopathic killers, scum, you can't trust them, but they all found religion and were on the honor system. You're blending these as your your reasons to the audience why there are no weapons available in this film. And you say, please, you're trying to sell this by the merging. I'm not saying you can't merge the ideas, but the ideas feel merged to sell a premise that is just eye-rolling to so many audience members. You know, they make fun of this aspect. If you if you watch Alien 3 reviews where they're making fun of this film, this gets brought up a lot. It just doesn't seem to logically gel for them. But I think the, as I say, the no weapons thing, I think it could have been it could have been really well done if they had done the logical thing and gone okay we don't have any firearms we need to approach this again they could have fed into the dragon narrative and gone we need to approach this like we're medieval we're in a castle we've got a dragon on the loose how do how did they defeat dragons in the old and try and think like, okay, make the equivalent of a moat or a harpoon or things like that. They could have used that, made it more interesting. But I think touching on the autopsy scene again, I don't know if any of you guys have read this. I, so it's just a theory of mine, but I get the impression what they were going for with that. They were trying to replicate what they did in The Thing, where they, they were sawing the chest open or they got the, the heart paddles and it went through it and then the thing opened up. I think that's what they were going to, but going for. But um, obviously, you went for the red herring version. But I'm pretty sure that's what they were trying to set up. They were trying to make a, a this is, a thing's going to come out. And this goes back to what Fincher said, which is it's not a scary scare movie. It's a queasy scare movie. So you had the stuff with the bone saw and that. But like David said, it's actually quite tastefully done. They have little cutaway. It never feels gratuitous. It feels very well done, which is kind of ironic because I think when it comes to the dog burster, I always felt that was very mean-spirited and cruel. I felt that was over the top. That was gratuitous. But I think the ox burster scene... That was fine, but the dog burster one, which was actually reshot because originally they never had the alien explained. The fox did not see any point in explaining where the alien came from. They put it for test audiences. That's only in terms of the egg. Where did it come from? You saw the burster. You just didn't see the fate, the, the eggs. Yeah, I've got the quote from it. But they, they talk about, the, they put it for test audiences. The audience was saying, where did the alien come from? Where did the alien come from? So they went back and the dog burst was an additional thing. They'd already filmed the movie. They went back and added the dog burster. 
Because at that point, they said, well, it, the audience are coming up at us. Yeah. They say, where's it come from? And they didn't factor in. Yeah. They'd filmed the dog burster, but forevermore, people would say, where the hell did the egg come from? <laughs> there are a few creature effect shots in the theatrical cut that are absent in the assembly. And one of them is what you mentioned, Eric, is you see the facehugger start to creep out of the EEV. Yeah. Whereas in the assembly, you don't see it at all. And they only hold up the queen facehugger. Very wide shot for unfortunately a wide shot for a very beautifully designed queen facehugger like that was one of the things that i think alien 3 added to the war i mean they they had to fix like a continuity issue because you saw the facehugger in the eev you know with the scene zooming in which you just mentioned but that was the reshot facehugger it wasn't the queen facehugger it was another facehugger prop that mimicked the ones from the previous movie so this created continuity issue so that shot in the assembly cut with the queen they couldn't do it with the theatrical one because the theatrical one established that ripley was infected by the facehugger yeah I've I've got the quote. Now, here. This you, is from you, the, you're, um, you're right. They re- they removed a birth scene from the test screening version because yeah. the test screening version was the one that we eventually got the bootleg V8 work print of, and it's absent in that. This is purely for your accuracy's sake. I just want to read it. This is from the um, comic adaptation issue one of the Alien Three comic, and they've got an interview with the special effects people. Blah blah blah. So this is what David Fincher says about it. To make matters worse, Fox failed to see the need for a scene which explained where the alien had come from and refused to sanction the money for it. Early screenings of the film had no chest-bursting sequence at all. Quote, We previewed it to audiences, recalls Fincher, and people would ask, Where did the alien come from? Quote, With less than two months to go before the scheduled US release, already put back at least twice, the studio relented and authorised a two-day shoot, which is quite short, for the Dogburster sequence. So originally, the Dogburster was not at all in there for test audiences, so it's a direct result of that that it's in there. Do you know, guys, I think they would have done the ending better or the beginning better and the audience better if they didn't start in the ship. When Ripley's talking yeah. to Bishop, Bishop is just pretty much telling Ripley what the audience yes. already knows for the yes. most part. There was a fire. There was an alien board. Was it with us the whole time? Yes. You know, and the audience is always aware. Imagine if this film started out with Clemens outside on Earth, according to the teaser trailer. And uh, <laughs> sorry, that was just a joke. That was such a good one. And Clemens goes outside and finds Ripley in the mud, covered in that lice, discovers the body. And the audience is like, whoa, that's Ripley? I thought she was on the Soloco, you know? And the audience is wondering what's going on. And the audience would find out with Ripley what exactly happened and then, you know, revelations. And it'd be so much more impactful, you know? And I just really wish it was approached that way. Yeah. I do really love the model shot, though, of the EEV going out and then falling onto the planet. They should have at least kept that. They wouldn't have had the rest. Just to AJ's point, you know, that that was something the FASNO and the Ward script actually did. You know, it, it opened on the monks rather than the Sulaka when, you know, it's him in the, I think, in the lake at the top of the planet. And that's when the, you know, the EV comes down. You don't get all that stuff on, on the Sulaka. And I agree because, you know, that is a big problem with the film. And it's something I complain about a lot. I don't like being ahead of the characters. Yeah, that is that is a problem. There's a problem with Alien 3. Just quickly touching on the Bishop scene, 
I have to say that is one of my favourite scenes in there and all credit to ADI. That is a complete animatronic Lance Henriksen. That is not the actor. And Lance Henriksen's voice work for that, it's so good. Like it's just a dark room, nothing happens. It's one of the best dramatic delivery scenes of the whole film. I love that sequence. It's really good. I agree wholeheartedly and you know the the way they did the skin on the puppet was intense. It looked like a real like a real android and the performance of it, the puppeteers did an enormous job. I maintain that the disassembled bishop, you know, torn out bishop is the best effect in the entire series. Alongside the newborn. On a technical level, yeah. Yeah, yeah, down. Technical, yeah I'm, t- I'm strictly talking about the technical achievement here, because ADI is very underrated when it comes to achievements in effects, and they did some of the most harrowingly real things I've seen in a movie. And it's funny as well, considering how shit the first version was of, of that, you know, that puppet and how much it didn't work. And they had to redo that in, in the LA reshoots. And yeah, damn, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's funny as well, because in the script, that sequence or in the scripts, that sequence, it makes a note of it being a speaker. So lip sync isn't required. But then ADI goes and does this fucking motion control thing with proper lip sync. And, and yeah. David Geiler and Walter Hill didn't didn't think it was doable, so you know there was a point in the script of don't worry about it. It's just a speaker at the back of the throat. I think that for the lip sync they got some intel from Baker's team on Gremlins too, because in Gremlins two you have you know the smart Gremlin that does real time lip sync. That that's not sped up. Yes. That's real time lip sync. So I think, but don't quote me on this because it could be like entirely speculative, but I remember reading that they got some intel from Synovation. I don't remember if it was called Synovation at the time, or it was Baker's team. And this, this is a good seg- segue into some of the effects for this film, because I think that's a, that's a really important discussion and part of the legacy of Alien 3. The commentary for the, the 2003 assembly cut is, is really cool. And you have, who's the head of Boss Studios again, Aaron? I cannot remember. Okay, so you have him, you have the cinematographer who replaced the one that had Parkinson's, was it? Yeah, so it, yeah. Jordan Cronin with, had Parkinson's. And then you have Tom and Alec are in there and then um god uh lance henrickson makes makes a couple of appearances in the commentary he doesn't have too much not the assembly cut commentary but they talk a lot about the effects and they criticize some of their own effects and they they admit like if we had gone back and and just shot the movie again knowing what we knew after completing everything we could have done it a lot better too because it was a very big learning experience this was right on the cusp of the move from analog to digital in terms of filmmaking in terms of creature effects and so often you hear oh there's all this bad cgi in the movie and and there's only again like one or two shots of cgi the majority of this issue's problems with the rod puppet are not the puppet itself which the, they did some awesome animation work for the puppet it's gorgeous it's the compositing work. The the shadows and the lighting don't match yeah. with the compositing. The matte lines as well, yeah. Yeah, and, and there's actually a fan project right now called, I think, Alien 3, The Legacy Cut or something like that. That's a 4K restoration, isn't it? Yeah, and they fix those those uh, issues. You can see it in our, our forum. Some, some have posted about it. And it looks so much better. It looks so much better. Yeah, with the color grading, isn't it? 
Yeah, because there's like it has a green tone with it, with the shadows that looks off and doesn't match with the darker shadows. I recall a friend of mine who was a user on the forums that they attended like a screening of Alien Tree in 4K, and for the occasion they did something with a color grading, maybe, or was it the fact that it was pr- being projected onto like a theatrical screen as opposed to like our home screen? But she said she, um, I remember her saying about it that the alien didn't look as detached from the shot because the colors worked better. It had a more coherent kind of color thing going on with the rest of the shot because it's greenish. You, you remember it as greenish because sometimes, you know, with the transfers, when they scan the film or they, you know, transfer it onto a digital medium, they forget to do color grading again because it can get corrupted. And the problem is the movie has this sepia, reddish tone, which is, of course, in contrast with the greenish kind of thing, which you'd expect in like an Herrhausen movie or something like that, not in an alien movie. And another thing that the compositing harms is the detail of the puppet. The puppet, like we have pictures of it in our gallery, it's tremendously detailed. It was sculpted by Chris Cunningham, member of ADI, when he was 18. He was 18 on this production, <laughs> and I am so jealous for that. And the detail in it is very fine, that there's very small stuff in it. And it was almost all of it was painted on. Like, they did the main shapes in sculpture, and then they painted on the creature. So this had that dual effect, because on one part you have the painted-on detail that mimics Giga so closely. Better than this, you fucking die. On the other hand, the movie itself, like, covers it. Because both the suit and the puppet are filmed in conditions that do not allow the, you know, the beautiful painting and airbrush work that was done on the suits, which I feel is a shame because, you know, then you had the fans, you know, saying, Oh my God, they turned the alien into this big fleshy thing. And a comment that I remember very clearly talked about the neck of the alien, you know, because the suit has this big neck. But that's like a problem with the suit at large, because in white shots, you're supposed to see the puppet, which has the cork proportions. They do this all the time with movies. Jurassic Park also did it with the raptor suits versus the raptor animatronics in proportions. They changed. And ADI did this again on AVP when they did, you know, the big animatronic alien that could do the movements, certain range of movements that the suit couldn't, especially in the neck. The proportions are different. It's like a movie trick, you know, kind of like the mirror trick you see in certain movies. It's nothing different. And I feel like, you know, it's a kind of a shame that, you know, the ADI people, as always, (laughs) get all the flack for it when it's a combination of factors that they're frequently not responsible for. The puppet wasn't really their responsibility. They delivered it to Boss Studios and Boss Studios for the refund. Yeah, and Boss Studios modified it because they took the foot and modified the foot to make it more easily, you know, maneuverable. And and they they did this rod puppet kind of thing, kind of animation like the Ranka in the third Star Wars movie. And they did it by freehand against a blue screen. I think Alien Tree was one of the first movies to experiment with a certain optical compositing method that involved the first computers with compositing, I think. Well, I think it was the last photochemical. Yeah, it was photochemical, but the photochemical process was computer controlled or something like that. I don't remember the specifics, but basically it allowed them to see the puppet in a proto-composited version of the shot in real time. You're talking about the laser disc thing, yes. Yes, that. 
they had this fancy rig where they could see it against the, the live plates as they were testing it, yes, which was really cool. And despite that, they couldn't, like, refine the compositing. Sometimes, yeah. you know, sometimes the alien, because of the compositing process, also changes sizes. Like, there's shots where it looks enormous. It looks like a, <laughs> a, yeah. a, tra- a freight train coming onto you. And then it, the compositing made, it makes it look like it's smaller. It's the puppet shots, isn't it, generally? Yeah. It's all the puppet shots, because the suit obviously had the same size throughout the... The film, yeah. I think there was only one composite shot with suit. I'm not even sure if it was a composite shot. But. Yeah, they had to match the, the focal length and, you know, the, the frame rates as well. Sometimes they didn't. Yeah, sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they failed. It was a new process because up until that point, there had been a lot of stop motion. But this was not stop motion. This was like live action rod puppet yeah. movement, which sometimes they filmed at slow motion and sometimes they filmed at regular motion yeah. that they had intended to be in the film. And yeah. it is flawed for sure. But I mean, the movie was still nominated for an Oscar for best visual effects. It didn't win like Alien and Aliens did. I think they both won. I think the Greenish Curse, uh, the Greenish Tent Curse comes from home media releases because it's not, I don't think it was as evident theatrically. Yeah. But this was the first time we'd ever seen an alien move like this, like like could not be done with a suit. I mean, we had we had the stunt dummies and aliens, but all the movement was from performers. And, and in Aliens, it was great. The dancers, the stunt performers did an awesome job. But seeing it move so animalistically in this, I felt they did a tremendous job. And even the suit, I feel it's one of the most biomechanical alien designs. People call it fleshy. It's It's nothing like the resurrection design. I mean, the resurrection design was basically a simplification of this one because, you know, the wolf kind of legs, the round kind of shapes, you know, it's a deformation of this one. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very different design. Yeah, if people want to um, have a good look at the Rod Puppet, the best sort of thing that out there on media would be the old Halcyon model kit because... They decided to base that on the maquette thing instead of the costume, but I've got some things here about it. Because of the pose, on the rod puppet, they had to lengthen it so it could sort of run on all fours, but they realised, was it, yeah, the pose was designed around the approved maquette, and adding in a new stomach would make this creature look stupid in the stance we had him in, because in the... The thing they've got is sort of like it's standing and it's prowling along, but it wouldn't have looked right. So even the model kit, it was based on the dimensions of the Rob Puppet and the maquette, but they were using the kind of things they were doing with the suit on set. So it was a kind of like an amalgam of them. Yeah. But yeah, I do maintain that suit was way too fleshy. The Rod Puppet was great. The suit, I always remember when it comes down from the ceiling, grabs Andrews, you have those really thick arms and the neck. It doesn't look emaciated and exoskeletal. That was a bulky stunt, dude. It might well have been. No, it, but... it was. That, that is one of the few shots in the film where it's not Tom in the suit. Okay, but a lot of the time, the suit does look a lot fleshier than I would have liked. I disagree the Rod there. Puppet's great, but the Rod Puppet's got the composition problem. There's some fantastic half shots of it where it doesn't look. Yeah, I mean, the suit was never supposed to be filmed, like, from the waist down. They only shoot it from the torso up. And I do agree that it looks different, but there's a point to be yeah. made here, which is, we are the fans. We notice this stuff for a living, basically. 
<laughs> a general audience member almost doesn't won't notice because you know the, these shots are so quick they do not go frame by frame like you or i would do <laughs> and back in 1992 like it wasn't like a standard for movies to you know be scrutinized frame by frame like we do today which is the reason there are some obvious goofs in like alien or aliens or the thing or the howling or whatever you have or american werewolf there's goofs in there because back then they didn't really think oh you know there's some gonna be some people grabbing a disc of this <laughs> and you know inserting it and then going frame by frame i don't think they well did. i wasn't framing it i was just going by casual viewer and watching film and i was noticing just as a casual viewer it looked too fleshy too thick to me just as a casual viewer the rod puppet stuff was great but it had the other problem so alien 3 was this weird mix of you got the great rod puppet but you got the compositing issues the suit looks great with the lighting but it's too thick and they're the things which made me think this is the alien film which it's not selling to me it feels like a real creature alien did aliens did the one in alien 3 I think it's only that shot where it's right up against Ripley's face. It looks real then. Never elsewhere in the film it looks like a living creature. It looks like an effect. And that was my problem with the creature presentation to me. Well, well back in that time, back in that time in the 80s and 90s, you had to have a certain suspension of disbelief, right? If you watch 1984's The Terminator, you see the stop motion animation of the T-800 and a skeleton coming your way. Or if you guys are fans of uh, Ghostbusters, you have the uh, terror dogs, you know? And I don't think at the time, you know, with all the gripes that Alien 3 people had with Alien 3, I don't think the effects were one of them. Oh, they were. That was the biggest thing always mentioned in the reviews of Alien 3. People were, they just thought the effects were bad. That was always mentioned. See, I used to be a big, like, Starlog reader, and all those, like, complaints and stuff coming into the um, editorial pages and the comments pages was everything about the the story, how they treated aliens, how they treated the alien, the, the problems with the life cycle. I never knew the effects was the, the biggest issue because back then you would have to suspend, was it belief or disbelief? What is the phrase? Willing suspension of disbelief. Disbelief. So, because, you know, it, until Jurassic Park and, you know, better CG technology, you know, things weren't always going to look real. Now, granted, it did in Aliens and it did with in Alien because it hardly showed anything, but... Um, I don't know. I, if, from my impression here in the United States, they, the effects wasn't a big problem. And that's only just come to light later in later years. And everyone says, that's awful CG. So I don't even think ADI takes the blame for that because everyone thinks it's CG artists, you know? I mean, what you, what you just said about the first one being hidden in shadow, I remember at the time, this is, again, coming from my age because I remember these things. There wasn't the internet, but there were, you know, reviews on the radio and TV. They were a much bigger thing back then. And I do remember a lot of people commenting on, ah, big problem with the alien in a, this film is that they keep showing it in full lighting. They're trying to make it. That's fair. They're not hiding it with numbers or shadow. And I came across a, a, an interview with Fincher during, in preparation for this, where apparently his approach was he wanted to make the alien not just a monster. He wanted to make it a character. And he said that's why he was putting it under light, full lighting. 
I think part of that might have been because he was so new. This was his first feature film. Whether he'd do the same thing again now, I don't think, no, but it would have benefited from taking more of a less is more approach with the, the lighting. I, th- I think a lot of the issues people had with the effects and visuals might have been avoided by doing that. Yeah, that's fair. I disagree on on the comments on the suit though because I don't I never found this one fleshy. Sure Resurrections is intentional because it's supposed to be a hybrid, but th- this one I don't have never found it fleshy. And and some of the shots of it, I mean I have a problem with some of the choreography of some of the alien reveals, you know, like the 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 first time we actually see it. It's just tickling a guy. No, the the stand up yeah, that said, the stand-up of um, when they see it in the tunnels, you know, the candles in the wind moment. In the script, it's always described as this pool of darkness that you can't make anything from. And in the, in the actual film, it's just this awful crouch stand-up kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I, I have a problem with some of that kind of stuff. But the suit itself, you know, when, when you have the, the medium shots of it, I think it looks perfect. I think we, we had to, like, discern between... You know, the quality of the suit itself under certain circumstances and how it was employed, you know, in the movie. I recall reading, I think it was for one of my, of my essays that Fincher found it very difficult to walk with the suit. So some of the suit issues that you see, you know, the accidental, you know, we see the waist. We shouldn't see the waist because it's not supposed to be seen or the legs. They never had to film the legs, you know. Except for like close-ups of the feet, I think in the Golic scene, in the Golic death scene, that you see a close-up of the descending. Uh, that's the suit. But regardless, you don't, you never see the full suit in the movie. It's always obscured in some way, especially from the waist down. But sometimes they miss their mark, you know, and they had the footage and they had to choose the best of the food. Another problem is, again, as I was mentioning before, that most of the detail in the suit is painted as opposed to sculpted. In the other movies, all the biomechanical detail, there was much more sculpted on detail. Some of it was cast from actual engine parts in Alien and Aliens. Not this time. There was, uh, the runner was entirely sculpted in clay and most of it was painted. So when you get, you know, the creature doused in blood or, you know, as happens in the movie, molten lead or whatever, you're going to lose some of the, de- some of that detail because it's not sculptural. It's painted. So as a consequence of that, yeah, the, the, the suit looks fleshy. It's not. If you look at the behind the scenes photos of ADI guys like Gino Acevedo, who's like one of the top painter guys for, for, for creatures. He did the Independence Day aliens, but one inside and one outside the Godzilla's from the nineties version of Godzilla and so on and so forth. He's a great painter. And when you see him painting on the runner, you see all that beautiful, layered biomechanical detail. And that's lost in the movie because of how they put things onto the suit. You know, the lighting, blood, mud, whatever it is, that makes that detail less evident, less eye-popping, like it was in the other movies where it was front and center. I think it's worth also saying... um. 
just a point of trivia that we're talking about Giga. Apparently, he didn't ingratiate himself with Fox by saying that the $5.5 million paid to Sigourney Weaver should have been spent on the alien. <laughs> I can imagine how that might have gone across. <laughs> yeah, and that's a whole other thing with Alien 3, right? Is Giger's little involvement, and he had all these ideas, and they just had to kind of move on without him, and he was he was not happy about that. Overall, I find the effects charming. You know, I, I have um, lots of complaints with ADI, but not in this film. I, I enjoyed the runner. I enjoyed the effects and very much loved Bishop. You know, David, I will agree to disagree about the newborn being one of their best. <laughs> <laughs> but here, I pretty much like their work. I mean, I'm not talking about the newborn design-wise. Like, we specify that technically, like on a how real it looks in a short kind of level because the newborn has translucent skin the wet look of the ky jelly it looks incredible it looks lifelike it looks like it's breathing because they also have like steam coming out of the side pores or whatever they are it's harrowingly real looking you can't disagree with the design choices some of the concept art for the newborn looks much better than the final result even though the final result exemplifies perfectly what they were going for which is like an abomination baby a deformed baby kind of thing. Hellish baby kind of thing. We'll save that for another podcast. But you, yeah. you may disagree with the, you know, uh, with, with the design choice, but the animatronic itself, like Bishop, is... But a lot of these movies, like I said to me, I find it charming now looking back at the effects and I have no problem. I, I don't get distracted by it. And this movie has a lot of issues and I really don't point to that. I'd still love to see them redo the composite in there. Yeah. I hope we get a 4K cut with that fixed. If we get both versions, I would never want to lose... Oh, no. God, no. I mean, as a a fan nerdy kind of project, like I would just love to see that puppet looking good up on that screen, you know, without the matte lines and without the green tinge and everything like that. I I mean, when we spoke to Charles, you know, about the assembly cut and he was like, ah, fuck it, just just have some fan do it in CG. It probably looked better, but I'm like, yeah, but I want to see that original effect looking glorious. I'm just happy, Aaron, they didn't, I'm a dog lover. I'm just happy they didn't go with that dog suit because I felt so bad when they were putting that latex on that dog. It looks so awkward. Whip it. Yeah. And then the head. I don't know. Uh, I never saw it running along. I, I think it looked okay, but. Oh, no. They, 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 show, they show you it in motion. I want some sponge. Okay. It was all <laughs> yeah. a matter of bloking because they could have used that idea. They just didn't find enough time to find a proper blocking for it. Because the way the shot worked, mm. and you saw, and you see it in the behind the scenes stuff, it's the, just this little puppy going yeah. down the hole, and it looks hilarious. Both films, Richard Hedlund, who was the VFX supervisor on this, he laughed every day <laughs> for yeah. it because it was so funny. Yeah, they only did a test because they realized that they couldn't do the shot. And the shot was cut from the movie, and they, they reinstated it partially for the assembly cut with a CGI Bombay Buster. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, they redid the, they redid the um, puppet as well in CG for the assembly cut, the Bambi Buster puppet. But I remember reading some inter it might have been one of the interviews we did where it's been asked, would it be possible? And I think people have pointed out, well, the original sort of plates have been lost or something. They wouldn't be able to do the replace the rod puppet with the CGI version now, or I I don't know what the limitations would be. I, I think it's just a pipe nerd dream more than anything. 
Well, the compositing can be fixed because a fan has fixed it. Again, you can look at those videos and it looks a hell of a lot better. Yeah, but it's just it's darkening it's darkening the footage. That's why it looks better because you don't see the matte lines as obviously. Even that I think you helps. can easily do away with it like extensively. Like it would be a very extensive work, but you can mask, you can, you know, color grade and things like that. It can be fixed, but it, it needs to be like an organized paid walk. And nobody is willing to, you know. We need the 4K anthology. Yeah, I mean, even with that, it wouldn't be perfect because there are some sequences like, um, I'll forget who's Pete Postlethwaite's character. David. David, yeah, and he's frantically trying to push this button, and the alien's meant to be running down the corridor, but it looks looks like it's levitating in midair, yeah. and it's just like moving its limbs, and it's in not the commentary. Moving. Tom and Alec, they said that's one of the less effective. Yeah, one. Should we talk about some of the acting though? I don't think we've touched on that yet. That's one of the film's strengths. Oh god, yeah, Ev, the entire fucking cast is brilliant. Let's be honest. And I think this was the first movie I ever saw him in. And then I loved him in The Lost World when he got to be like just such a badass in that one. But it's it's always interesting in the special features hearing, um, God, who's Gollick's character? Who's his actor? Paul McGann. It's always interesting hearing him Doctor talk who. about the film where he's like, my character just disappeared, which I think is a bit of a mistake, <laughs> if you remember that. And yeah, Gollick just disappears in the theatrical cut. And that's an issue with, with the film. Some of those characters just go missing, but I feel I feel like the acting for this movie is is really well done. You know, Charles S. Dutton, Sigourney Weaver, they they were both great. Everyone did did their job really well in this film. I think the problem was just with the characters themselves and getting the audience to care about the characters and telling the characters apart when everyone was running down hallways. And yeah, that that was admittedly a bit of an issue, but that wasn't any fault of the cast. Yeah, the, I mean, the whole choreography and geography of the chase sequence at the end just makes it confusing and makes no sense anyway. Because just, just looking at it from trying to understand the layout of what they're trying to do, you don't have any reference for it, so it makes no sense. As far as I, I'm concerned, anyway. There's a great <laughs> quote from McGann in one of the um, set visits that Empire Magazine did. And McGann says, There are more producers around here than actors. I wondered who the hell they were at first. It's like having an extra fucking audience for every scene. You can't get a clear picture of who wants what. It gets changed as we go along. I don't know what they're doing here. Rewriting some of the script? Getting in the way? Fuck knows. And that was him just speaking before the, the film journal. had been released. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we tend to talk about how we now know a lot about how terrible the production was. But even back then, you know, the trades knew it was oh, not yeah. really. Journalists were being warned when they did these on-set exposés and they said, just expect the unexpected. Things are going to be weird. Just going for that mindset. And they found that, yeah, people were just speaking very candidly about it. Yeah, I'm, su I'm surprised the publicists weren't more on that, to be I honest. Know, but yeah. Completely when different time, I guess. read this stuff, yeah. But no, damn. I, I, honestly, I think this is some of Sigourney's best acting in the entire series. Yes. And her, her and Dutton, they have some... There's good chemistry. I think this was the, the only time they'd acted together. But yeah, their chemistry was amazingly good. And me especially for that time. Cause, I mean, I know he did eventually get killed off, but he would have been... Yeah, this is the early 90s. You rarely got like... Um, 
basically an action or horror film where the black guy plays a prominent leading role. He's the one that's putting all the other guys in their place and stuff. Dylan was kind of a very almost breakthrough role in a lot of ways, but he he just sold that he had gravitas in that role so well. It's a shame he didn't get to keep his dreadlock from the earlier scripts in the book. Because, you know, you were talking, everybody's talking earlier about everybody looking like bold white blokes with British accents not standing out. And, you know, like one of the early concepts was that Dylan had this dreadlock, just this single, you know, sort of dreadlock in in defiance of the planet and defiance of the lice and everything like that. And, um, yeah, it's a shame you didn't get to, you didn't, he didn't get to keep that as, as his, you know, visual. Well, he had his glasses. That was his True, visual. Yeah distinctive I, I personally like the idea of him still sticking with some hair as a fuck you to the environment but i just wish we had more character development with dylan because i still everyone. don't know well <laughs> yeah everyone i well, mean we... people that didn't die off early on i mean even andrew's got none but the only one who had some was Aaron. that was we it. had some with clemens right and he yeah. should have been around for longer, honestly. Yeah, he I, should have been around. But Dylan, same thing. I mean, it, you know, because it was really Ripley and Dylan towards the end of the movie, you know, well, basically until the lead pours, which, by the way, guys, I don't understand why, why was he still so insistent of Ripley escaping? I mean, this was the perfect time to pour the lead on both of them. You know, why was this, you know, I no. I think he wanted a guarantee that it wasn't going to get out. It came across that way to me, but I, I think that's a valid observation, you'd think, yeah. It made no sense to me. I get it once it focused on Dylan and he realized, okay, it's after me, I got to stay down here. But prior to saying that, it was just, you know, this is it. This is when you kill the alien. Why not stay down with it and hold it, right? I mean, you could say maybe he was also thinking if Ripley's in danger from the lead, would the alien just run out with her or something? But that's all just supposition, I think. Okay, could you imagine the runner bursting out of the lead with this charred <laughs> yeah, and melted corpse? Sort yeah. of like Mighty Mouse. That would be very nihilistic. <laughs> but, but, I mean, that, that was, again, another thing is, you know, when I was saying earlier about why is the alien not taking all these hosts? Why is the alien not taking Ripley and gluing her to a wall so she yes. can't risk the Queen Embryo? Yes. That yeah. struck me from my very first viewing, I have to say. I, I was thinking, why isn't it just cocooning her? Cause- uh, speaking of that, like, I, I love the scene where she finally goes after it, right? Goes down to the base. You are obsessed with that scene. I am, because, because the scene cuts, and you see it in the special features. You see her encounter with the alien and the alien just above her in that scene. And I just thought, again, that low camera angle that Fincher does so much in this movie, like, it, it just really worked there. And I would have liked to have seen that scene play out more. This this movie has... yes. So many frustrating moments, like in terms of what what you guys said, like the movie is just not scary. Well, it's just it's it's not really horror at all, is it? It's more of a drama, but it's a chase. But when you have three times the terror on the poster and and so a labyrinth movie, sorry. The scene that gets closest to scary for me is, and it's one of the darkest scenes in the movie where you have all the candles and the candles are slowly starting to go out. And it, again, it's kind of that weird air of mystery. Like, is the alien blowing out the candles? Yeah, is the it gotten setup, that? Yeah. Like, that's so creepy. And then the alien just pops up and starts tickling the guy. And I'm like, you had the setup going so strong there. And then it just falls apart in that scene. I remember the scene with the basement and I remember thinking, oh, they're going to go like Lambert, but with a twist, this is going to be so tension filled. And they cut away and understand why it's a less is more thing. 
but they could have done so much more. They could have built on... We saw how it reacted to her once. How is it going to react a second? Because she's now got a motivation for forcing it into action. There's so much that could have been done cut away and it's just it's like the scene cuts itself away at the knees just as it gets interesting <laughs> it's the same thing with the covenant shower scene we saw recently like sometimes more is more and i feel like alien 3 has a few of those moments i mean what do you mean you, you bring the shower scene as a positive example so in covenant there was an extended version of the shower scene which was just shown recently in the movie, I don't think it works. I think it cuts away too soon and it's like cliche kind of slasher. But for having those extra few moments, it's just that much more creepy. Now, you could make an argument about jumping through the glass and that that might not work. With the tail, of, yeah, with yeah. the tail around her pulling it towards the alien, it's like, ooh, ooh, yeah. I mean, I cannot unsee that scene again because <laughs> uh, the leaked version on YouTube had the porno With the terrible music. Yeah. Oh, that's what made por- it. It that was porno music. <laughs> okay, so I cannot unsee that, so that the scene is ruined forever for me. But regardless of that, the basement scene might be my favorite scene in the entire movie, alongside the birth of the queen and the autopsy. No, not the autopsy, the, the funeral, because of the yeah, other thing. But the, funeral the basement scene was brilliant because in one shot, it's the suit, then she stabs into it, and it's a pipe. And I love that editing. I wish there was more of that, like hallucinate again, kind of pulling it from Vincent Ward's thing. But it's, but, a classic, you know, it's a classic cinematic move, which I really enjoy. Didn't the Alan Dean Foster novelization have her finding like the alien had molted? And I don't know if it was that scene that he was reinterpreting that way. That that rings about right, but I'm not sure. Because she finds the alien, like, it's grown, and she finds, like, a molted skin of the alien, and it's like, oh, it's bigger, it's, it's changed, and then it's, like, the same alien. <laughs> but I've got a feeling it might have been that scene, and I don't know if he was wrongly interpreting it or what, because, I mean, clearly it might, you don't know if it's because she's carrying a developing chestburster that she's having these weird hallucinations or what. But there's a lot that could have been done with that as well, beyond just the one. There's a lot of concepts that aren't explored properly. I think yeah. it's a it's a good repre- again going by the car crash trauma kind of plotline. It's her dwindling sanity that we are witnessing. You know, she's losing it basically. Also, I want to know for everybody, regardless if, if you prefer the theatrical or extended cut, which ending do you prefer? Where the chestburster comes out or stays in? Always have the creature effect at the end. <laughs> That's the rule. I will say I noticed on the assembly cut, people talk about like, garlic is reinserted, blah, blah, blah. It's a little tiny thing. It's There's this slightly extended meeting between Clemens and Andrews. And right at the end, I noticed the little dippy bird in Andrew's office, and I'd never seen it before. And I was like, ah, the little calling card of the series, and it was actually cut out of Alien 3. Yeah. But what about Adam's question? I already said earlier on, I I think the version where it doesn't erupt, the music edit, it's... It feels wrong. You're waiting for a climax, doesn't happen. But then in the theatrical version, it's great, but I never understand why I, she should be in absolute agony with this thing coming out of her ribcage and she just cuddles it. Yeah. You know, because movies employ like visceral logic as opposed to like literal logic yep. a lot of the time. So the scene is basically supposed to, let me put this into words. It's movie doing movie. 
It's supposed to, exactly. It's supposed to show Ripley coming at peace with the fact hmm. that with her sacrifice, it's a catharsis. this is done. This is it. Nobody's going to suffer anymore. Hmm. So she's at peace with it, and she's cradling the alien like a baby. It's ironic. Realistically. Ironic. She shouldn't be I having know, that. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but it's a movie. My man, yeah. it's a movie. We have sound in space. But in that, the first that's movie. why I say neither version is satisfying. One's yeah. a bit WTF, but it works well flow-wise. The other one, it works well logically, but the music goes, do, 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 and it doesn't, you go, oh, something's missing there. Something's not right. What do you think about it, AJ? So I, pr- I prefer the chest burster. Both scenes look awkward in, in its own way. But I do, uh, you know, I always came with the impression that she was at peace with finally extinguishing, you know, the alien threat once and for all, you know, and saving humanity in the process because she's always worried about this coming back to Earth. The only thing I would have liked more, and this is also partially being an Aliens fan, is um, for Hicks and Newt to be alive somewhere, that somehow her and Bishop were separated from the ship in the beginning of the movie. She was the only one infected. Hicks was still alive. He was standing right there watching her fall. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, I just have this, this moment that I would love where she's falling and then she sees, she doesn't know where Newt is. She doesn't know where Hicks is. She, she, as far as she knows, they're on Soloco still, but she sees like flashes, visions of maybe uh, Newt, like, you know, graduating some sort of school. Or, or her and, and, and Hicks uh, smiling together, walking somewhere. And she, you know, at some peace that she not just saved the universe, but she saved both of them and they could live on. Like Terminator 2. You know, when Sarah's having that sort of dream and she's seeing Kyle Reese and like a younger self with a child at the playground. Yeah, but these would almost be like flat, like pictures, you know, flashes, you know, yeah. and you see them as she's falling and then she's at peace with her sacrifice that, you know, you don't quite know what happened to Hicks and Newt, but I, I would have felt this would be a better ending that, yeah, you see this hero of the this great sci-fi franchise die. And this is what she did it for. You know, it's it's personal to her. I mean, you could go further and you could say you have flashbacks to like Kane, Parker. Yeah, yeah. A lot of characters that meant something to her. And that's her lead up. That's her journey up to this. And then you just see some future shots and like, are those real shots? Is it just something she hopes for them? And then she hits the lava. And I think it would have been just so much more powerful if I could have seen that. But to answer your question, Adam, yeah, chestburster, I think all the way. I used to prefer the chestburster because I was on the same page with you, David. It's like, oh, we get to see another creature effect. We get to see like a small alien queen, which looks really cool. But I do feel like the movie is more impactful for me where it doesn't erupt and she's made made this choice even though she could have very well been saved and the assembly cut also fixes the impact with the lead and the um the effect yeah i can't agree with what you're saying but i think that at least if the chest buster is not erupting that we should see like an internal shot of it wiggling things like that we need that kind of emotionally to see that the alien is still inside i very much agree with adam there you know the the possibility that it's not the alien forcing her hand it bursting forces her hand you know but 
it not bursting means that there was a chance that she could have survived. You know, it makes that sacrifice, it gives it a bigger impact. But on the other hand, I also do like to see the creature effect. But I completely agree with Eric in that her being alive to be able to, to you know, grab hold of it and give it a good cuddle. It's her baby. But no one believes that, right, Aaron? No one in the audience believes she would be kept alive. Everyone thinks it's BS, right? We'll take it out of you. We'll kill it. Yeah, when Bishop says, you must let me have it, it's a beautiful specimen. That's when you know. You don't have to think that he's going to kill it, but you don't have to think he's going to kill her. Yeah, it's like they they didn't kill Morse. They just transferred him to another prison. Well, they, they shot him in the leg in front of Ripley, you know, and they killed 85. And that granted, 85 hit him with a wrench. Yeah, I mean, you, you're not, you're not going to really forgive that one, are you? My ear's hanging off the side <laughs> of my face. I'm not going to... But even he survived in some of the other drafts. Should yes, we summon the 375 users who have contributed to the thread on the forums? Is Bishop 2 an android? <laughs> <Yeah. or human? laughs> Which is an ongoing debate 30 years later, and it's amazing. You know, back yes. in 1992, this ending got a lot of comparisons to Terminator 2, though, since you brought that up, Eric. Yes. This lowering yourself into a lava, a fiery death for the humanity, right? For the rest of humanity to live. And, you know, in Terminator 2, it was the T-800, and uh, in Alien 3, it was Ripley. So there was a lot of comparisons made back then. You know, I never quite went there, but other people did. Yeah, that did come up during production. Is this Fincher? That's, yeah, Fincher says, because this would have been Terminator 2 released in 91, because he had the that of Molten Middle. And Fincher says, we were about two weeks into shooting when somebody, someone learned about the similarity, but we were just too far into it to change it. So there are a lot of people who said, oh, the reshoots were due to this, that, and the other. Apparently, it was complete coincidence. They just happened to both have a molten metal sort of ending. So That's got to wound them as well. It's like, damn it, we didn't know about this. Yeah. And again, it was all for naught because Bishop 2 already had a queen and a whole bunch of aliens in LB426. <laughs> and Hicks was right there watching her fall. You know, I also saw this interesting parallel, and I always relate to um, Terminator 3 and Alien 3, you know, where you had these iconic franchises that were knocked down a peg with this third movie that Terminator 3 happened much later, I think in 2003, with yeah. the absence of Linda Hamilton. And this one was the absence of Newton Hicks. And they both received like similar audience reactions, and it felt like suddenly these perfect franchises we're no longer perfect anymore. Yep. Well, that is, it's not something I agree with. That Alien 3 at that point, it became this sort of, oh, well, all third movies are cursed. Now, I don't go with that. I quite like Jaws 3. A lot of people oh, don't. Dude, dude, no. <laughs> <laughs> Jaws 3, come on. <laughs> There's Jurassic and Back to the Future as well, isn't there? Back to the Future 3 was pretty good. Once Alien 3 came out, it became this urban legend. All third movies of a series, they're all cursed. They're all cursed to be awful. And that made up this pattern. But a lot of people came to love it. I want to put Alien 3 and Terminator 3 in the same bag, either you know, qualitatively or impact-wise speaking, because Alien 3, they did a sequel five years later. And Terminator took like seven years, eight years for another one to be made because Salvation was in 2009, wasn't it? 
That's eight years, which is a long time. I think I get the point that AJ's making, that the third film was just deflating compared to the first two. And I agree oh, with yeah. that. Both that's, franchises that's definitely, definitely and had And both that. Aliens and Terminator 2 felt like it concluded, right? It felt like yeah. your characters came to a good place and the story was over. And then boom, we have another movie where suddenly there's missing characters in both films. And you, you have an audience negatively reacting to it. Just, they were just as upset of Linda Hamilton not being in Terminator 3 as they were, yeah. were uh, yeah, Michael Bean. Yeah. Alan Dean Foster tried to, tried to make him survive. In one of his drafts of the novel, he, I don't think he ever said how he did it. I think it might have just been that they were in a different EEV that went off elsewhere. So they didn't, they didn't come down to the planet. I like them dying again in terms of the whole fuck the world, fuck your happiness for life kind well, of that's you aaron i know that's me <laughs> i think i sorry finish your thought aaron i was i was gonna sort of lead it into so what do you guys feel about hicks and newt because come on guys my alias my online fucking alias is hicks i love hicks but it was it was just a reflection of the unfairness of real the real world and i'm not sure if it would have had the right impact if well i guess maybe if she thought they were dead it'd be more of a sacrifice if she knew they lived right she could go away and get this thing removed and she could go live off with him and maybe start a family. And it wouldn't be more of a sacrifice if you know you have loved ones out there that be that you want to live for? I mean, she's alone. She has nothing left. I think that strengthens the sacrifice because she has nothing left. It's easy. Mm, I mean, again, going by the car crash kind of plot line, you know, reference. She has nothing left to lose, so she can't do the ultimate sacrifice. It's already been done for her. As for the two of them dying, I used to be violently opposed to it. Like I was one of those hashtag Hicks and Newt guys. Again, I've learned to appreciate it for what it is. It's a trauma. It's the inciting incident for Ripley's character development in this movie. I do disagree with the people that said, you know, it's the best course to take. Because otherwise it would have been like a family in space, which is not the case. But they usually like to use it as an argument, you know, for making this the only narrative path that could have been taken. With that said, I do enjoy it, like enjoy what it brings to the movie, especially the funeral scene, which is editing-wise brilliant. We haven't mentioned them yet, but the editor of the movie is the same one as Alien, Terry Rowling. And you can, and despite some editing question marks sometimes because of the rushed schedule, you can see some narrative similarities with Alien, especially when the Alien dies because you see it dying three times. Just as you watched, you know, the Alien being ejected towards space three times in the original movie. You know, there's a lot of very cool editing stuff in Alien 3, actually. And that funeral scene, that's marketing. You cannot blame a movie's marketing on the movie because it's, it's handled by different people, especially if the director is not, you know, this big name, which Fincher wasn't at the time. So you cannot really say, you know, the movie sucks because it's not what the marketing told me it was going to be. Otherwise, you get Splice, mismarketed as hell, and it's a great movie. The 2014 Godzilla was mismarketed as big all hell and was a good movie. It just wasn't what you were going to be promised, you know? I didn't like it. Yeah. I don't know mm -hmm. if I'd call it good. <laughs> yeah, I would not call it good. <laughs> Regardless of what you think about the specific movies, is that the marketing does not reflect 
the final product. I, th- I think we're past that point now. Now, yeah, I don't think anyone's complaining. Okay, so I did want to touch on a piece of marketing for Alien Three because you do have the infamous on Earth yes. with the original teaser. Where did that ever come from, Aaron? Nowhere. Like there, nowhere. nowhere. There was never a draft where it was on Earth. So I want to know who's responsible for misleading the audience like that. I remember an issue of the, I think, Dark, was it Titan or Dark Horse? The one that the Aliens comic, which came out every month. And God, I don't have it on me. It was Titan. Yeah, they we're reprinting Dark Horse stuff. No, no, that's a lie. It was Dark Horse UK. Sorry, Titan, Titan yeah. did the Alien Resurrection magazine later on. Right, okay. Someone out there will have the collection, but I remember there being in the news section, I think there was a just a small article, and I think they asked the person who'd sort of put that together. It was such a great trailer. It still is. Look it up on YouTube. On Earth, everyone can hear you scream, and it, everything about it's great. Yeah, it was one of those things where they didn't have anything specific, but they were just sort of like kicking ideas about, and there was something about aliens in subway tunnels and stuff. I heard aliens in like fields, right? Similar to that Marvel comic. I don't remember fields, but I do remember them mentioning subway tunnels on Earth. Now, I don't know the background. This is just pure memory. But You'll I have to ask Lee, because he's got all the magazines. I, I will, actually. I thought I read something about cornfields or something like that. Something really... That was the Ward. That, that was also in the Ward script. But there was an article about that advert that was put out, and they apparently just kick in ideas between themselves, and they came up with it. The question is, who at Fox authorized that to be released because it would have had some sort of budget to at least put the egg model together it would have needed at least you know even if it's just 50 dollars or something someone would have used money to create it it wasn't just a still painting so well it gives the sense that studios really didn't know how to build a franchise at this time they thought they needed a trilogy we do know fox was under the gun, they knew they had to put something they were out. pissing money out. Yeah. They had to put something out for legal reasons. And I purely guesswork, my feeling is, yeah, if we put any old thing just to show we're working on something, that might keep shareholders or whatever at bay and release it. And it did cause, even pre-internet days, it did cause a wave of people going, oh, have you seen that? Yeah, that's interesting. That was their mistake because it was such a bad move to set up that audience expectation of, oh my God, it's going to be on Earth now. This is going to be like the ultimate alien battle. And then you have what we got. So, yeah, yeah, and you see through the retcons we've had throughout the years, like Colonial Marines, like the Alien 5 that almost happened, like people wanted to undo what happened. Even Sigourney Weaver. Which is weird because she was the one that wanted to die so hard in the third movie. They wanted to keep her alive initially. Well, she also wanted to have sex with the alien and she got that wish in resurrection (laughs) partly. So, Wasn't it her idea to have sex with Clemens? Yes, she, she wanted a love scene in this, yeah. Yeah. Which didn't actually... Get shown. It was just an assumed. Hey, it works. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's a relationship there. It doesn't need to be shown. I'm just saying it's weird. She wanted yeah. it in there, and substance-wise, it isn't. So I love the chemistry of... between her and Charles Dance as well. Yeah, mm. and that was why. Again, it was a shame when his character got off so quickly. Yeah, but life's unfair, Adam. 
I know, but the movie had already shown how unfair life was. And it's like, it's even more unfair. And I'm like, God, movie. Apparently, if you, if you get character development, you die. Yeah. Or you don't, like Andrews. It's interesting because it's, it does seem to skip between co-leads for her. You know, we, you have you have Clemens early, oops, dead. And then it sort of skips between Aaron. It doesn't kill him, but then pushes, you know, the disagreement pushes her towards Dylan. So it's like it moves between these secondary lead characters. And nobody really has time to, you know. I think they were be. going for not just to push this idea of she's brought evil into our community, but I get the impression they were trying to push this everyone who's close to her dies sort of thing. But yeah, because okay. it doesn't quite, it's another of these things that they, they just touch on, but they don't really run with. So. Let's get some growth with Ripley, right? She she's cocky, you know. I must make you feel uncomfortable, and injects herself among these murders and rapists, and then almost gets gang raped to rock music. <laughs> <laughs> and then why doesn't she say, "Why am I like that?" I would love a moment like that, you know. Her sitting with Clemens is like, "What was I thinking?" You know, I have this personality trait that I, you know, something questioning her motives because obviously. You know, even though he he was a um, asshole, he, she should have listened to Andrews, or she should yeah. be at least walking around with a, a escort at least. Yes, I mean, in fairness, when she goes to get the bishop droid, she is a little mentally preoccupied. But you would think she's wanting. He says, "No, I can't go with you." You'd think she'd go, "Okay, I'll postpone this. I'll go yes. somewhere I'm safe." Yeah, but I mean, the time was of the essence at that point, wasn't it? It mm. was, oh shit, I think aliens are dying, I need to confirm this, let's crack on with it kind of thing. But like, what would it have been? Ten minutes later? Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't have been. <laughs> it was, you've been in meetings, Eric, you know how long they take, it's ridiculous. Although, can I, can I just say how much I love that scene as well? You know, the whole calmly set up between Drew's getting him tea and then just fucking exploding on him. I oh yeah, it. that was well yeah. done. That a lot of that was down to Brian Glover's acting skills. Yeah. He played that part really well. Again, that was all assembly cut because in the movie it opens right when he's right when he's yelling at him in the theater. And I and I I, I love uh, Clemens's line as well. I find you unpleasant <laughs> to be around. Yes. Yeah. So, so guys, it was hard for me to get a perspective of how much time passed. Do you guys have an idea from her? And I always took the gestation time as just the queen. Takes yeah, it's the queen. Yeah, I think that that was so. pretty much it. Fansplain, yeah. <laughs> Actually, how much, you know, she says she's been dealing with this all her life, right? Or feels like she's been dealing with alien. How long has she been awake between alien? Well, you, alien. Don't, you, don't, you don't know how long passes between her waking. Well, and all the I nightmares. Mean, I, all the nightmares she had to deal with after Alien, like. Well, no, I mean, I mean, it, the film kind of makes it a little unclear as to how much time passes between her waking up and being sacked to then everything taking place on the colony. You know, because it's like, oh, she's around long enough to get licensed to be a power loader. I wonder how long that. I think causes. it's at least half a year. She's probably been working the. I mean, I think SM had sorted it all properly anyway in the timeline stuff, but I always felt like there should have been more time between her waking up and her going out. But that's a different that's a different film. I mean technically it's been like over half a century, but yeah. waking hours, yeah. Yeah. It, it is a bit of an exaggeration, but I, I think AJ man, when you when you've spent most of your recent waking hours being chased by this damn thing, you know, it kind of takes over what you From her about. perspective, like two, three weeks, but <laughs> it's a great line. For our perspective, she's been dealing with this all her life. Yeah. 
But from her perspective, this has got to feel like boom, 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 boom. You know, uh, it's just like almost every waking moment she's dealing with this. Well, you especially know? with and, those nightmares she kept on having. Yeah. I mean, that and really did her. What own. David was suggesting about her going mad, maybe, and seeing, you know, visions of aliens, I never once got that impression, but I would have loved that because, jeez, mm. how many times can one person go through this, right? That was a line in Die Hard 2. I can't believe the same thing has happened yeah. to the same guy twice. It's a lot for one person. So I actually would have loved to seen her break down, you know, really break down instead of like making a joke again when uh, Newt was dead, you know, about uh, you're going to give me some clothes or I'm going to walk around this way. I would have loved just to see her break down because, God, her life has just been hell after this latest revelation. That was maybe down to Weaver's influence on this, because I think from her perspective, she wanted to see Ripley rise above that being the expectation. Because, I mean, especially in Aliens, she had faced her demons down. She was like, okay, I'm not going to go through that anymore. It would have definitely been interesting. I think a lot of it was to do with probably effects budget as well. You don't know what they would have liked to have done hallucination-wise if they'd have had the effects budget, but who knows. <laughs> but ultimately, at the end of it all, I'm still fucking amazed it's as good as it is. Yeah. yeah after yeah. everything. I mean, the, the, there's still themes in there. There's, there's still, you know, decent effects. Well, I'll say decent effects. It's a lot better than I feel like it has any right to be, given everything that went off with it. Yes, yeah. it's when you know the history of the production, and but then, then, then is that really fair? Should you you shouldn't really need to have that knowledge to be able to give it a break? But no, but to judge it fairly, you need to take yeah. everything into consideration. Yeah, there were great things that it added to the lore. You know, we got the first instance of the the DNA reflex. Which had been a thing that, you know, since the start. Ridley Scott had, yeah, yeah. Had, had thought for the first one, which was cool yeah. to say. And we got the logo with the queen embryo fetus, which has become like an iconic alien image. And we had the whole space beast thing that was kind of added to the lore. Well, that's resurrection. That's not Alien 3. Yeah, I know. It, it just shows Alien 3 has had an impact and, and a lasting oh, effect yeah. on this franchise. That it is it is a worthy Alien film, regardless of, of the misgivings I have about it or what I would have wanted it to be. I think you're right, Aaron, that it's just a beautiful wreck in terms of, of what it is. And it should be... It should be appreciated and should be delved into. I was really disappointed we didn't get another J.W. Rinsler book, and unfortunately he passed. But I feel that there's so much to explore there. And for studios to learn about interference and letting a director do what a director needs to do. I mean, this this film is used... I, I mean, it was in mine. I know it was in other people's online that I've seen speak about it. But you know, this is an example in a lot of screenwriting and a lot of development film courses and stuff like that. You know, this is the perfect example of development hell. Yes. Yeah. Kind of a random note here. I always thought it was weird. I know it was just done for budgetary reasons, but I always thought it was weird that Michael Bishop and the Wayland Corporation arrived in um, another Conestoga class ship. And I know it was just so they could re reuse the model. And they, they just hand that wave that away in Colonial Marines again. I know I keep bringing that up, but I find that such a fascinating fan fiction like, oh, we're going to make you appreciate Alien 3. We're going to fix Alien 3 kind of exercise. They did not in the way they intended. I'm sure there must be a fucking word for this, but when something after is so bad that it makes you then reevaluate the thing beforehand. <laughs> yep, the predator. <laughs> no, predators was always good. Shut your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> there, there must be a term for that kind of thing, and I also think that's a little unfair, to be honest. Yeah, well. hindsight. 
It's called hindsight. <laughs> That's all it is. I was just going to say um, with Michael Bishop, why didn't they give him a hazmat suit? Everyone else was worried about that goes to the heart of is he a droid or not and we'll never yeah. know and again that's another thing colonial marine said oh yeah he was a droid after all and he did have white blood after all and it's like wait what so stop talking about colonial marines for god's <laughs> sake adam <laughs> i just love how it intertwines with alien 3 like like whenever that scene happens where it shows what really happened when the eev ejected i just can't help but laugh because it's just it's so funny <laughs> oh there was just the switcheroo with hick it's the ultimate fun boy masturbation kind of thought process so it's extremely funny i will say more to do with the magical teleporting egg because that will never be explained charles de lazarica tried to and the menu yeah it doesn't work because it's in a big long corridor with silico on the metal but the whole film this goes more to the cinematography of the film whether or not you personally would like alien 3 to be a, a dream or not it does visually and tonal-wise, have a very dreamlike quality to it. It's something about like it looks like you're looking through oil at parts, but it does feel very dreamy. Whereas if you juxtaposition that against Cameron and Scott's sort of industrialized, these are real people sort of thing, there is a dreamy quality to it. And I do find that just interesting from a filmmaking point of view. Yeah. It makes me wonder if they would have explained it away as a dream in Alien 5 could do still that would that would piss off a lot of people right like remember all the people like when alien camp as i like to call it was gonna be like a real possibility all the alien tree people were like oh this is just lazy filmmaking (laughs) i wouldn't i wouldn't have i wouldn't have liked it i'm gonna be honest i would not have liked them to have uh, i wouldn't mind it either because you know we're we're not used to the whole multiverse Stuff. So, like an alternative narrative without, you know, crossovers, like an actual acknowledgement inside the narrative of a multiverse. Like, without that, we just need an alternate canon. It, it wouldn't be, in, you know, an insult to Alien Tree. I mean, you can pop it in whenever you want if you have the Blu ray. So, but that's not, that's not a thing anymore. So, <laughs> multiverse don't work in Alien. <laughs> Nobody would be happier for Alien 3 to be discarded than David Fincher. Yeah. Nobody hates it more than me, right? As that much as it's old... been reevaluated and stuff like that because of the assembly cut and, and the knowledge, mm. it's never going to change the fact that the people who made it had a fucking nightmare. Well, a lot of the people um, had a nightmare of an experience on it, no more so than I mean, you know, the head guy. Kind, kind of be said for Aliens. I, I mean, it, Cameron had a had that temperament on Aliens, but with Aliens, you had like you know under pressure, diamonds are forged. Alien Three, not so much. But it has become in later years a cult status film. I don't quite understand why, but as years have gone on, more to do with the assembly cut, but it doesn't make it a radically different film. But it's definitely achieved cult status now as a film. Yeah. Even the scene where the alien is like creeping right next to her neck has been parodied so many times and referenced yes. so many times. And I Even know with staplers, Goldenthal score, uh, you can get like an extended cut of the score, I think, right, Aaron, that has like a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't in the film. Yeah, um, Lala Records did one, I think, a deluxe edition. 
But I get what you're saying too, David, in terms of like, I don't think you need to interpret it as a multiverse, but you know me, Aaron, I've never been averse to the alternate continuities and Alien 3 has presented that with its legacy. You know, we've had all these interpretations of Gibson now, like Michael Bean finally got to be in Alien 3. Like, how awesome is that? And we got to see that in a comic form and in a novel form. And maybe they'll do the same with Vincent Wards. And we almost got that with Alien 5. So, And we had a different interpretation with the comics, too. Like, that was an initially kind of an Alien 3 thing. So, And why are you getting that, right? You're getting that because there's a hunger for a different continuation yes. after Aliens. Yes. It's just like Terminator 2. How many movies did we get that discard the previous movies and take place right after Terminator 2? And there's comics and graphic novels. And yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, a lot of people feel, I think all of us maybe feel that the assembly cut is an improved version. Some people think extensively, like fiendishly inventive on our forums, but this is not going to be the version that people see most of the time if they're catching it on streaming or uh, it's playing on cable, you know, they're going to see the theatrical cut and it's always going to be regarded as inferior to some degree. For us fans, we love it. But for the people that just pick great movies, they got the two Aliens films. They only pick a couple diehards, whatever they are, you know, and they go on their shelf and they, they don't come to community websites. And that's why we're never going to get a Rinsler book, even if he was alive for Alien 3, because I don't think they would think there's a market for that. You know, there's just not enough people consume Alien, Aliens, Alien, Aliens. I completely disagree with you. Yeah, it's going to be fans buying those kind of books. I, it's all about finances. It's about that book is expensive, Aaron. That book is expensive expensive didn't rinsler say there was no demand for it i think rinsler no no he didn't say demand it was the studio didn't want it. they didn't want it right. yeah 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 and why is that if they could make money hand over fist they would go for it well it was it was after the wasn't it after the buyout why do we always just get alien and aliens content it's the same thing you know and i i guess what I'm, my approach is is it's a shame that the assembly cut won't be the the mass version that people consume if they say, "Hey, I'm going to check out Alien 3. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean that that's that's fair. But I, I'm actually quite surprised. Uh, so, so you know, when Adam and I interviewed Charles, you know, it was because we wanted to talk about the creative. I was going to say creative assembly. Then no, that's a different thing to talk about the assembly court. You know, because at least from my perception, there had been a lot more of positivity around Alien 3 because of that assembly cut. But you know as I've been doing, again, stealing your thing here, AJ, doing the 30 days for 30 years thing for Alien 3's anniversary, I'm so surprised at how much negativity is still there for the film. I thought we'd sort of move past this point, but god damn, no, we have not. In our little circle, it's Eric I'm used to shitting on the film. Not not everybody else. Well, I don't hate it. I just say that I was underwhelmed by it. But, but yeah. no, I'm, there's still a lot of people who dislike the, the film. You know, I, I, I put out yeah. social posts to say, what do you think of the film after all this time and all that kind of stuff? You know what they're going to say. <laughs> and and to be fair, there's, there's still a lot of people here who are reevaluating, not necessarily for the, you know, because of the assembly cut and everything. But you've got people here like, um, I hated this movie when I first saw it, but now I see where Fincher was going with it, and now I want to see his vision of it without studio interference. I borrowed a pirate video when it came out, and I hated it, but I was 13 and wasn't mature enough to get how good it actually was. Over the years, it's grown on me uh, so much that it's my second favorite alien film behind the original. I just love the utter nihilism of the whole thing. To be fair, actually, Twitter's relatively positive about it. But if we go on Facebook... 
Dum dum dum. Alien three, die, die, die. <laughs> <laughs> you get that. You know, all fandoms or fan bases or whatever the cold term it is with the kids nowadays, they're all toxic. I, nah, I, I, would, I wouldn't go as that far. Raising the chambers, all of it. I think the toxic fandom is a little overblown. There is an element to it that does exist, unfortunately, but I think you also get the people that are like, well, that's just toxic fandom that are like averse to any criticism of anything ever. Yeah, it'll be a vocal minority. That's what you've got to keep in mind. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Actually, I, I lie because a lot of the... A lot of the Facebook page is actually quite positive about the nihilism <laughs> of it, and um, it's your subconscious. Was it was it our group that was being negative about? It? I, I'm sure I saw a lot more negativity towards it than I was expecting. And to be fair, I think you see a lot of that in the comments throughout the 30 days so it far. It might that have we've been done. the early stuff did, like the immediate comments. But then, if you wait for them to go on, there's more people that are give it more of an. Yeah, so, so maybe I'm talking bullshit and people do actually appreciate it a lot more now. Uh, but there's still a lot of people who don't. I think the fan base has warmed up to it. You know, it's the same problem I have with Predator 2. It seems like anyone outside the fan base, that's a little higher road to climb. But inside the fan base, you see, Aaron, how highly regarded it is now. And I think within the Alien fan base, too, with Alien 3, there's just a lot of people that have grown to appreciate it. It still might be their third favorite film or their fourth favorite film, but we all, I think, except for you, Aaron, um, approved our feelings, right? Since since the initial time we saw it to, you know, what we feel about it now. I think it's also important to keep in mind, if the franchise had ended after Alien 3, there would be more dislike towards it. It's because... Since Alien 3, there's had Alien Resurrection, which is largely regarded as overly comical. That made people look back at Alien 3 and they say, well, at least it wasn't Resurrection. And then there's Prometheus and Covenant, and people say, well, at least Resurrection wasn't a prequel. Now, you're even getting people going, well, I really loved Requiem. And like five years ago, except for like Adam, you would hardly get anyone saying, I love Requiem. I don't know. I I think a lot of Predator fans used to quite like Requiem. Yeah, it is more the Predator fan. But even they say, well, I love Wolf, but nothing else about it. But now people, there's a lot more people going, I loved it as a film. Whereas five years ago, they wouldn't. So as things go on, like even you get Colonial Marines, the game, and people say, oh, yeah, I love that. Five years ago, no, you wouldn't. Sometimes things are reevaluated in time. Yeah. Even Prometheus and even yeah. Alien Covenant with a lot of people. They, they suddenly look at those films and say, wow, maybe Alien 3 wasn't so bad. You know, It's one of those things where you don't know what you have until you've lost it. People go back and they go, oh, yeah, actually, it's not as bad as I remember. Sort of. mm-hmm. All right. Shall we wrap up then, gentlemen? I feel like that feels like a natural ending point. Can I just speak yep. about the Hicks and Newt thing that you did ask earlier? Well, that's, this was ages ago. <laughs> yeah, but I never answered. I don't think it was necessary to kill them. But I do wonder, I know Michael Bean had his issues why he wouldn't return, but it would have been very interesting if instead of Bishop, the character who returned right at the end was Hicks. And if, you know, you didn't know what happened to Hicks and you, Ripley had crashed there alone. How would it have been if you go, is Hicks a synthetic or is that the actual Hicks? Because he would have had the emotional connection to Ripley. I think people would have hated that too, though. 
I think people would have hated that. Hicks, they love Hicks. Hick, yeah, Hicks but there was really still a... that ambiguity. How would that have changed Alien 3 if it had been Hicks showing up at the end? That could have been an interesting way to use Hicks instead of the let's just have him be a soldier sort of thing. There are interesting ways to use characters. It doesn't have to be in the expected way. Well, to quote Ripley at the end of that movie, you're crazy. <laughs> On that note, Aaron. Shall we wrap up, boys? You shall. Yes, sir. Happy anniversary, Alien 3. Yeah, 30th. Happy birthday. Happy Thank you, everybody, for listening or watching. You know, Be sure to let us know your comments down in the comments section below you know in particular you know i am always curious to hear about as if people's opinions have changed over time so do let us know very interested david do you want to tell people about um monster legacy before we do ours if anyone is interested in you know the creature effects side of the story i have a couple articles on my website and for the 30th anniversary of the movie this year i'm going to expand them by the end of the month with new information like more story related evolution recordings so things like that if i may say one last thing my favorite line from the movie is in the assembly cut when golic says cigarettes that never fails to make me laugh hurtfully we were talking about that in a bit. That's probably going to got cut, but I use cigarettes so much. You know, when we're playing fire team or anything and we come across a loot box, I've got cigarettes. Cigarettes. Or whenever I find anything in, in real life. Nobody else knows what the fuck I'm on about, but yeah. But you never kicked a glass vending machine while you do it, right, Aaron? No, I, I, I never quite go that far. Yeah. No. Adam, tell people about our socials and our links and all that crap. So if you'd like to visit our website, you can do so at avpgalaxy.net, where we have all sorts of good stuff like the latest news, interviews, editorial pieces, and a discussion board on our forum. We're also on all the major socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. If you search AVP Galaxy or Alien vs. Predator Galaxy, you're sure to find us. If you'd like to follow me personally, it's at RidgeTop21 on both Twitter and Instagram. I'll be doing some photography for the anniversary of Alien 3 for us. Actually, we've been doing a thing where we do like commissioned artwork for um, significant anniversaries, and we have one coming up for Predator as well, which looks really awesome. I just saw the finished one of that, but I'll be doing one for Alien 3 myself, so I can't wait to show that to you guys um if you want to follow me personally on twitter i'm at underscore corporal hicks and that's just nerdy ramblings and bullshit if you want to follow me i'm on twitter at fn voodoo magic david do you have a personal one or is it just uh yes i do i am david sword 426 on instagram oh no it's it's 53 on instagram and i also have a facebook page in the twitter i never use and a lot of good galleries on Monster Legacy, too. Indeed. Oh, yes, yes. I have, like, a, on MonsterLegacy.net, which is my website I mentioned before, there's, like, a very extensive uh, Alien Tree gallery. And I also have them for, like, the, all the early movies. So if you guys want to, you know, burn an afternoon on it, you know, many people have, <laughs> from what I know. It's a good way to spend some time reading about Alien. This has been Corporal Hicks. Ridgetop. Voodoo Magic. Xenomorphin. Omega Morph. Signing off.